Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Before the King of Sun, you ended 15 years of uncertainty and doubt. Aegon, like his namesake, was born to rule the Seven Kingdoms. You mustn't ignore the certain truth that if Rhaenyra were to step over Aegon to ascend the throne, the realm would tear itself apart. They all swore obeisance to her. Our house among them. That was before Aegon. We are the sword in the darkness. We are the shield that guards the realms of men. We are... Game of Microphones. And now... It's your host, Sir Duncan the Fearsome. Good morrow, hunters and huntresses, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome, guardian of the Golden Spear. And I'm Lord Zach, the surprise Valerion dragon rider coming oh. on the clouds. <laughs> nice. Welcome to episode 123. On this episode, we're covering House of the Dragon, season one, episode three, second of his name. And in case you're not already aware, this podcast is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen all previously aired episodes of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. And if not, there's still time to be crushed by a dragon's foot so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Nice. In consideration of further spoiler avoidance, we understand that most listeners have likely not read Fire and Blood, which covers this period of the Targaryen reign. Therefore, we will only be discussing events from the Dance of Dragons that have already come to pass on House of the Dragon, and we'll take caution not to spoil drama that is still to come on the show. And real quick, if you're enjoying our coverage of House of the Dragon and our complete series rewatch of Game of Thrones, which covers every episode in depth, and would like to help GOM get out of the red and into the black, your support would be greatly appreciated at this time. Please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash gompodcast or donating to keep our show alive at paypal.com slash gompodcast. Or if you'd like to support us without spending any money, use our Amazon affiliate link located in this podcast's description and at gameofmicrophones.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom for your online shopping. And we'll get a little kickback from Amazon for sending you their way. Thanks. Please take the black and help us get into the black. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> nice. Without any further ado, <laughs> let's get into our top five highlights of House of the Dragon, season one, episode three, second of his name. What'd you think, Lord Zach? 
Oh man, this was a really fantastic episode. I like I don't know what I guess I was wasn't expecting to be blown away as you know <laughs> getting into the middle of the season. So, you know, I, I think I was thinking maybe there'll be some filler, you know, nothing too crazy, but it started out, you know, you know, hot and fast and it just <laughs> stayed, you know, the the action throughout the episode. Uh, and not just action, but the dramatic action of yeah. what's going on between Rhaenyra and Allison and Viserys and Baby Aegon and Otto Hightower. I was I was just surprised at after it ended how much I really enjoyed it. So that's awesome. Five out of five. Five out of five. I think. Sweet. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. I'm right up there. I don't know if it's a five, just because it's hard for anything to be perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm very generous. But uh, I'm right up there as well, <laughs> in the same stratosphere. So, what did you have as your number five, good sir? My number five. It's basically my number one, but I want to talk about it first. Sure. Is random order. Team exactly. Yeah. Team Rhaenyra. Let's go. I'm here for Rhaenyra. Uh, everybody <laughs> else, everybody else that thinks they have a claim, get in line because I'm here for Rhaenyra. Uh, I'm, you know, just sign me up. I'm her sworn shield and and sword. Anybody that anybody, yeah, sworn shield and sword. And <laughs> if if anybody uh, wants to dispute me, let, come at me, bro. I'm right here, dude. I'm right here. Uh, I'm team team Damon. <laughs> just, nice. Just jokingly, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just, it's just everything. You know. The, I mean, some people were say are saying, "Oh, she's going through this teenage, you know, rebellion phase." And I mean, she sort of is, but she has a lot of she has a lot of merit to her complaints about what's going on. You know, marrying her best friend and being kept in the dark about the whole situation. Yeah. Now we've got you know a two year time jump. You know, two years plus because there's nine months of pregnancy, you know, presuming that Allison wasn't already knocked up last episode. Um, so over, you know, two and a half year, you know, give or take time jump and the whole realm is fawning over, you know, baby Aegon. So she, Rhaenyra has a lot of, she has a lot of gripes, but I feel like every single problem that she has a complaint about is warranted and merited. Yeah, a lot of uncertainty. So Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, that's what the whole dance is about. But uh, I just I, it, as I read through the books, I always sort of, you know, came down slightly on the side of Rhaenyra, you know, versus, you know, the high towers and, and their claim as thing as this as the show story moves forward. But I was like, I could kind of see both sides. Um, sure. But now that seeing it, you know, in the show and seeing how Rhaenyra is portrayed, seeing how the high towers are portrayed, seeing how Damon and I like Damon, too, a lot. Uh, but I sort of. I don't want to give anything away, but um, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here for Rhaenyra and her claim. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's totally understandable. She's clearly the protagonist in this series, as far as yeah, I just the, uh, the moment that really, really got me. I mean that that the moment with the white stag on the hill, you know, oh. was very, you know, obviously very important and symbolic. Um, basically, the gods or the universe, you know, they were saying the white stag was going to be the sign of you know, baby Aegon on his second birthday, that the white stag was the sign that, you know, he should be the heir. I yeah, mean, that's what all, all the people that want him to be heir are using that as a pretense for supporting his claim. Yep. But um, Rhaenyra, you know, sees the white stag instead of Viserys. So that's obviously, you know, was a, a very impactful moment. But then when she rides back into camp with Kristen Cole 
and you know, blood in her hair, blood on her face, so like badass. looking like Danny, looking like the Conqueror, Rhaenyra the Conqueror. I just said it out loud. I was like, <laughs> it's Rhaenyra the Conqueror strolling back into camp. The two strong brothers, you know, so they were like stuff. processing the the stag that that Viserys killed. They were like looking at her, like, "Hey, girl, what's up? How you doing?" Drenched in blood, um, dude. She, I'm just like. Let's go. Team Rhaenyra, ride or die. She and Damon both ended up this episode uh, drenched in blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting parallel. Hell yeah. That's awesome, man. And I agree with everything you just said. Really cool. And uh, interestingly, they had the the white stag, the white heart. And uh, this is an example of, <laughs> of doing it correctly. Whereas in the, the new show, Dexter, the, uh, the spinoff of Dexter, The Return... Dexter has this moment where he goes out in the woods and there's a white stag like this. And it's oh, wow. so bad. It's so bad. He walks right up to it and like reaches out and he's like just about to touch it. And they're like having this moment. <laughs> like no way that would ever happen. It would run so fast, so much earlier than that. So that was just highly unbelievable. Whereas this one, you know, the stag, it like pops its head out and then kind of disappears. I, I bought it more, more than the Dexter <laughs> thing, which was just yeah, terrible. Definitely. Really good. So uh, my number five is killing in the name of, and we uh, we get killing in the name. Of. <laughs> we get um, three different kills in this episode by our main protagonists uh, or antagonists, you could say, for Daemon. But the way in which they slay their targets seems to reflect their characters in interesting ways. So. We have Viserys, who's just doing what he has to do. He's forced to slaughter the stag for the sake of the hunt and the festival for his firstborn son's name day. And this sort of mirrors how he tells Rhaenyra that he has obligations as king, that even he's not above, and that he just has to do, even if he doesn't like it. Viserys just follows through with emotions and and plans and schemes of others that others create for him and put in front of him, which is uh, sort of exemplified or... Uh, which is uh, symbolized pretty well here by the by everybody else holding the stag in place for him and presenting it to him. And all he's got to do is sort of jab or hit the button to go, give the go-ahead. So Viserys, killing in the name of duty. And then we have Rhaenyra, who slaughters the, the boar, but not for sport. It's because she's being threatened. And uh, this, to me, reflects how she only pushes back when, when she or her station is threatened, how she only started making moves in the game when her succession was threatened, like stealing back the egg when Daemon tried to stake his claim at Dragonstone. That was her first major move. And it was only because Daemon was staking his claim and threatening her place in the line of succession. And uh, it, it sort of shows me, tells me that Rhaenyra will kill if she has to, but only when she's threatened and not offensive offensively. So Rhaenyra is killing in the name of defense of self and station. <laughs> and then we have uh, Daemon. <laughs> and when he slaughters the crab feeder, he violates the doctrines of war and falsely waves a white flag, tricking the triarchy to, to put themselves in a vulnerable position before he goes on a rampage and calls in the dragon and the Valyrians. 
And uh, this symbolizes, as does the way Caraxes just crushes that Valerian knight at the start of the episode. Save me! He lands and just his foot just smushes him. <laughs> but so. he, he does, like, I sort of, I think I took that maybe the wrong way, but he saved him from being eaten alive by crabs. That's true, while yeah, being yeah, Crucified yeah. to the beach. So I took that as, you know, sweet meteor of death, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, come and take me kind of situation. Could easily be like, seen that way. Yeah, just sure. it just either, you know, burn him alive, instant instant death, you know, with the heat of dragon flame, or just he ends up just landing straight on top of him and like it doesn't squish his head. So there for a split second, <laughs> you could see his head still sitting there, yeah. and maybe his arm as it's uh crucified to that uh that, stake you know, or whatever. Stake on the beach, but the whole rest of his body is is a Caraxes foot. Smushed. So it's just smushed and the Caraxes just Take, just you know, walks further down the beach. Casually strolls off. His tail's like whipping, you know, <laughs> wagons and people and crushing people. It's yeah. really cool. It's awesome. People like, oh no, he cracks. He's crushed that guy. I was like, that's that's a net benefit. That guy's done for. <laughs> so yeah, he's probably got, he's been eaten by crabs. So an instant death like that being smushed is you know all in all not that bad. Preferable. For sure, for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, uh, it also sort of symbolizes how Damon will just kill anything or anyone in his path to get what he wants uh, ruthlessly and without regard for rules or tradition or principles or scruples. He's willing to slaughter hundreds of these people. You saying hello, Loki? He's, he's willing to slaughter hundreds of these pirates just to make a name for himself, you know, like uh, Corliss said to him last week, there's opportunity awaiting you in the stepstones to uh, to build your reputation and show that you're a leader. And so Daemon is killing in the name of power or the acquisition of power. Yeah, it, da- Daemon waving the white fr- flag and uh, basically war criming uh, the crab feeder. So dirty. Is, is reminiscent of, you know, what Taiwan arranges with the oh. phrase, um, uh, you know, totally disregarding, um, what's it called? Guest Salt? right. The guest right. Totally uh, disregarding guest right and all the tradition uh, that that has, you know, in this culture. Damon is, you know, basically operating in in that same vein uh, with, I think it was Tywin who said, why is it acceptable to, ten, to kill 10,000 men in battle, but not to kill 10 men at dinner? Yeah. You know, basically to prevent a battle where, you know, where thousands or tens of thousands of men might be lost. Um, so Tywin yeah, is, point. you know, that same completely unscrupulous, you know, no holds barred, you know, they'll do anything to win. Absolute cutthroat and and Damon. I was I was sort of thinking he may be doing the same thing, but then he kneels, pulls out a sword, and so he kind of got me for a second. I'm like, I guess he really wants to parlay and is gonna you know go under the banner of truce yeah. and basically try to you know come to some type of terms. He with handed over dark sister, like he yeah, let he it out of his grip. That was balls. Just for a moment so that he could have <laughs> both hands free to uh, slice and dice. <laughs> yeah, totally. Great connection there with, with the Lannister and Bolton betrayal of Rob Stark at the Red Wedding. Beautiful. Yeah, that's right. Lannister's, Bolton's, and, you know, the phrase housed the whole thing. Jamie Lannister sends his regards. <laughs> speaking speaking of, of Jamie Lannister, it, like, I haven't seen a side-by-side, but the two Lannister twins, Tyland and from this episode, uh, Jason, like, 
with the beard, they really resemble James, you know, Nicholas Coster yeah. Waldo. I could see the familial semblance too. Beard when he had the beard and was kind of had longer hair at toward the end of the series with the beard and everything. They, I mean, it's pretty pretty good resemblance uh, between J- the actor that played Jamie and those guys. Do you know if they cast twins or is that the same guy playing both? I think it's the same guy playing both. I heard that somewhere. It was funny, okay, the line yeah, where he says, uh, he said, um, frightfully dull. It reminded me of both uh, <laughs> Tyrion and Jamie at the same time, the way he said it. That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up my number five. Uh, what's your number four, brother? Awesome. Uh, my number four is Damon's Pride. Nice. And the line that that Viserys says about the Lannisters is also applicable to Damon. Like their pride has pride, which is also a great um, lion reference for the Lannisters. Yeah, it <laughs> definitely was talking about the Lannisters. But Damon's pride has pride. And when Viserys sends that letter saying, "Oh, with ten ships, two thousand men are coming to your aid," that's they've been out there for you know two and a half, three years, and they've basically been uh, been unable to burn out the crab feeder. They just retreat into the caves. So speaking with uh, Alicent, King Viserys says he'd rather die than accept help from me too, or something along those lines. And that and that makes you think as that scene progresses, he gets out on the rowboat as the voiceover of Viserys's letter, you know, comes across to the audience. Um, it looks like he would rather die than he almost does accept Viserys' help. And it is, you know, it's a very risky proposal that. What they what you think he's going by himself that he's you know Leroy Jenkins you know this whole thing just to get at the crab feeder, but turns out that they're following Lenor Valerian's plan that he's first talking about as we come to the beach. Oh, um, where they're saying that you know we need to draw him out. Right. And, uh, his uncle, uh, Vaymond. Yeah, cool name. Uh, Valerian, uh, Corliss' brother is saying, well, who's who's gonna who's gonna sacrifice themselves and go out there and to draw the enemy out. And somebody oh says, Damon, God, yeah. right as the dragon is landing. Nice. And then Damon walks up, you know, and they get the message and all that. But he just, he he doesn't care. I'm sorry, he does care about his pride. That's the only thing he cares about is his reputation. And like you said, he's he's here for honor and glory to and to make a name for himself. So he's not going to have Viserys come in three years after the fact and sweep up the mess and it had to be said that Damon, you know, faltered Failed in the stepstones, and- but Viserys came in and saved the day at the end. Yeah. So that was the last straw for Damon. He's like, his, his pride wasn't going to let him accept Viserys' help. So which Viserys had him pegged in that regard. He's like, he'd rather die than take my help. And he almost did. And, you know, he took several arrows. Um, he did. So it was really, uh, really interesting. And this was surrounded completely. Really, really awesome sequence there at the end. Yeah, uh, his so whole cool. run, his whole the white flag, and then his charge toward the caves after he uh, starts slaying the the crab feeders um, minions, and it was just a really you know it wasn't you know uh, Battle of the Bastards or you know the the great sequences from Game of Thrones. It's just a smaller scale, but it was really really well done. I liked it a lot. Yeah, me too. I loved it and. Uh, by the time Game of Thrones occurs, Daemon is known for being the most loved and reviled man of this era of of Targaryen rule, as well as being 
famed as the, uh, the 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 best fighter of this age, basically. So I've been looking forward to seeing him in action, and we got a little bit of that here as he slices down all those <laughs> those pirates on the way towards the crab feeder, <laughs> which was awesome. This is also my number three, which was death over dishonor, which is. Uh, Damon's attitude going into this whole thing. He'd rather die in his suicide one-man mission to go take out the crab feeder than he would accept that help. So this is like his Hail Mary gambit to win this battle before Viserys' help arrives to take the glory away from him. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, he, he like you said, he hands over Dark Sister, and then he has a Dirk, you know, kind of exposed, but it looks like he pulls one from out from under his, you know, outer cloak and then stabs that one guy, grabs Dark Sister and slices the next two guys that are right there and then takes off down the beach. Yeah, yeah. Massacre, massacre, (laughs) massacre, massacre, massacre. I think he takes a little cover as the first, as the first (laughs) volley of arrows comes in, he takes cover behind, uh, I think like an ox cart. Yep. And then as soon as that volley hits the ground, there, you know, he's like waits for maybe a split second for that second volley to start flying, and then he takes off. So he's not there as that second volley of arrows hits, and then he's just sprinting down the way, slashing. He like jump kicks this one guy. That was pretty <laughs> epic. Uh, and the whole time he's just dodging arrows. And I mean, it's he's the hero of the moment. So of course he doesn't take an arrow when he, sh- you know, I mean, there's just dozens of archers. I mean, surely somebody should get him, but right, a right. running target from a distance at an angle like that is extremely difficult, but, uh, it's awesome. Su- you know, basically a suicide run yeah. to, you know, trying to get as far Leroy as he could Jenkins. Exactly. <laughs> Leroy Jenkins, that whole thing. I was, uh, I've watched some videos on YouTube of like medieval battle experts analyzing scenes from, uh, from TV shows and stuff. And somebody was watching the battle of, uh, with, uh, you know, Jon Snow and Ramsay Bolton at Winterfell. And they were talking about how in in real medieval-style battles, you'd never have somebody giving the, like, knock-draw-loose commands. It just wouldn't happen because some some shooters are better and they can rapid-fire. And uh, like, like he was able to use the, the timing of the volleys to dodge the, the arrow fire for that beginning, keeping it random prevents them from being able to strategize around the arrows like that. So this is a slightly unrealistic uh, element of these TV shows, but it makes for great drama. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's great drama. That actor they had playing, you know, the commander of the archers was really cool. His armor and everything. Knock, draw, loose. I love that. Really Knock, cool. draw, loose. So awesome. Yeah, you think at some point they, they would say, you know, say fire at will. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, maybe like knock, draw loose for the first when you decide to initially start shooting, but then from on there on out, it would right. <laughs> what was be- the scene? There was a scene in Game of Thrones. It may have been the Battle at the Wall where they had they had knock, draw, and then somebody, or it may have been in Lord of the Rings. I think it's yes, an old archer in in at the two towers where he's holding his arrow. And he's, they're not supposed to fire yet, but he just lets it go. It's this one orc <laughs> right in the face. And he, uh, like, and so it, it starts the whole battle, you know, sooner than the commander's meant for it to. Hilarious. I always think of that. When, the, when they're, they're, they've, they're they've drawn and then they're just holding it there and holding it there and holding it there. It's like, bro, come on. Just just give me the command for, to lose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I got a perfect shot right now. That's the drama to me is... Is holding that bow for so long. That's the drama. Not is yeah. my is the hero gonna get uh gonna get taken out <laughs> with an arrow. Desperately trying to hold it. Totally. Inefficient use of energy. 
<laughs> Anything else you want to add about uh, Damon's pride? Death over dishonor? Uh, well, uh, his pride uh, may get him grayscale. Uh, I'm probably not. Right, right. Um, probably not the best idea to basically bathe in the blood of the bath feeder. <laughs> he, I mean, he is covered, and it's like he's just only dirty. has grayscale. Yeah. Only has grayscale. Covering so him. way worse than let's, than uh, what's the what's the Stannis's daughter's name? Uh, Shireen. Shireen Brown. Right. Yeah. So Shireen is supposedly like inactive, is dormant, mm-hmm. but obviously Jorah's is like continuing to spread. Yeah. So some and people Sam are saying, figured oh, well, out how to cure his too, right? Yeah, basically peeling it off and then putting this ointment you know, all over it or whatever. So, who knows? Maybe Damon's pride will give, will give him grayscale. <laughs> it's also possible that, oh no, because Shireen was part Targ with her Baratheon blood. I was thinking maybe Targ's, you know, the blood of the dragon could be immune to uh, to grayscale. But. Yeah, because they, they said uh, Danny was told that as she was a little girl that, that Targaryens don't get sick. Um Oh, the blood of the dragon. Except for mentally you know. sick. Right. <laughs> they so. get pretty mentally sick. <laughs> yep. Nice. So uh, my number four is, uh, it harkens back to a common theme throughout Game of Thrones, which is love is the death of duty. And vice versa, a theme throughout mm-hmm. this episode in both series. It's a major theme in this episode for Viserys and also for Rhaenyra in part, and even Sir Criston a little bit. This theme is first sort of introduced as we're riding in the carriage to the hunt slash festival, traveling north up the King's Road, which is cool also because it sort of parallels Game of Thrones, where in the third episode of Game of Thrones, they're heading south down the King's Road, if I remember correctly. From Winterfell back to King's Landing. Yeah. And so uh, Viserys is caught between love and duty this whole episode as he's making the decision of who's going to be his heir. Like he says at the end, he wavers. Uh, and little does Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra know it, but this whole festival is not only for, for Aegon. Like she says, no one's here for me. Little does she know that, that uh, Jason, I almost said Jamie, that Jason Lannister is here for her. And that the secondary objective of this uh, this festival and this hunt is to find a, a king consort for her. So it seems at this point that Viserys is still siding with love, you know, and trying to find this king consort for Rhaenyra, although she's unaware. But as the carriage arrives to the festival grounds, we get Hobart Hightower, which is a hilarious name, Hobart. <laughs> And he's shouting a toast to Aegon, calling him his grace. You know, he says, Hail, hail Aegon, the conqueror babe, second of his name, which is the title of the episode, second Mm -hmm. of his name. Here's to his grace on his second name day. And this proclamation is sort of looming over the scene as the, uh, as the, the weight of the decision between love for Rhaenyra and what, what Viserys wants to do, which is make Rhaenyra his successor, and duty and destiny, which is Aegon and his dream that he had. And so it's it's sort of tormenting him throughout the whole episode. Then we have our scene with Jason Lannister introducing himself to Rhaenyra, which is hilarious. She gathers that it's a, a Lannister from all the lions, which uh, that line made me laugh out loud. And not just like the LOL, you know, like I actually laughed. <laughs> you know? uh, mm-hmm. But he starts talking about how uh, 
you know, he has the power to build a dragon pit at the rock. And he's talking about how huge the rock is that Casterly Rock Castle is built on top of. He says it's thrice the height of Hightower in Old Town, which is wow. gigantic and taller still than the wall in the north, which is even bigger. So this thing must be huge, this giant rocky bluff that, that Casterly Rock is built on. Talk about an impregnable fortress. Not, not if you're brawn. Give me 10 good men and I'll impregnate the bitch. <laughs> yeah. Just like Lan the Clever, where mm-hmm. you know he figured out another way to impregnate that biatch too. But uh, Rhaenyra's like, dragon pit she still doesn't understand at this point that he's courting her and uh mm-hmm. when she does figure it out you know he's like of course a dragon pit to house dragons i'd do anything for my queen or my lady wife you know and she's like <laughs> she kind of smiles but then kind of like pukes a little bit in her wine glass <laughs> she's yeah. like thank Whoa, you skr, hold up now say what <laughs> skr yeah he's bitch made left in the <laughs> left in the dust bitch made motherfucker and uh, she rushes to confront Viserys about this scene. And uh, she's complaining about, you know, like, this is what I am to you, a prize to proffer about to the great houses. You know, and he's defending his pick about how Lan- Jason's an excellent match. And she says that he's arrogant and self-serious. And I thought he had a great comeback to that, which is like, well, I thought you might have that in common. <laughs> like, oh, puts her back in her place with a swift line. And (laughs) he's talking about like, you know, since you've come of age, I've just been drowning in parchments from every corner of the kingdoms, all marriage proposals, marriage proposals, marriage proposals. I've been trying to talk to you, but you won't talk to me. You've been refusing my me at every turn as I try to get get this message to you. And she's like, well, that's because I do not wish to get married. And it was interesting for for Rhaenyra here. Duty is the death of love. You know, because she loves she 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 loves doing her own thing, and she doesn't want to be bound down by by her by this this duty. The way like this was a duty was the death of love for Cersei too. She hated King Robert. She loved Jaime. She was forced to com- to comply with the, her duty to her house and marrying King Robert. But just as equally as love can be the death of duty, duty can be the death of love. Two two sides of a sword, kind of like magic, you know, that it can swing both ways. <laughs> nice. So yeah, for Rhaenyra, the duty of marriage would seemingly interfere with all that she loves. Uh, but here we get, we get Viserys shouting above the, the rancor, above the, you know, the conversation in the tent. Even I do not exist above tradition and duty, Rhaenyra. <laughs> and the whole place kind of goes quiet as everybody's like, yeah, oh, my God. Really intense. So intense. Even Otto's like, oh, shit. And uh, this and is like. step in. Yeah, Otto yeah. Has to like, <laughs> yeah he, Excuse me, your grace. Yeah, and at that moment. The actor uh, portraying Viserys just did a marvelous job here. His his lip is quivering, and you can see like the chasm between him, between he and Rhaenyra, is killing him on the inside. The actor just 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 such as just, just does a wonderful job of portraying his inner pain in this scene, just through his expressions alone. <laughs> um, but yeah, his mention of how he doesn't exist above tradition and duty foreshadows how he's forced to kill the stag later in the episode. And I was thinking about this, and Viserys's existence, just in general, <laughs> is somewhat tragic, as he's just like a puppet following the steps and being forced through life to do all the stuff that he doesn't want to do. 
marrying uh, Rainey's in the first place. He was forced to do it. He ended up loving her, like you said. But, you know, marrying Alicent was like the first thing, it seems, that that he did out of his own desire, choosing love over duty. And it caused such havoc in the rest of his life, <laughs> including among those that he loves with uh, with mainly Rhaenyra. And like the, the, the idea of choosing duty over love is was what we what he ended up happening in the pilot episode when he chose to save the baby Balon instead of his wife Rainies who was dying in the in the bed is it Rainies uh, Emma Aaron Emma Emma Aaron yeah yeah Rainies is Corliss wife I said Rainies a minute ago when I met Emma this is oh, the one okay. that he married with uh, you know for duty Mm-hmm. He ended up loving her. But yeah, he chose duty when it came down to uh, his wife and his child in, in the, the the birthing bed as well. And it didn't work out so well, unfortunately. Yeah, I, th- I think that was he uh, as he approached the stag and, you know, he he stabbed it one time and it, it let out this crazy the sound, the sound uh, design for uh, the dragons and uh, for the dying stag was yeah, really hurt. brutal. It's like that was just the squeal and the squelch, um, and even Ray, uh, Rhaenyra talked about that in the the horse La Model X. That's what I call their wagon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that wagon is so like futuristic looking. I mean, it looks like something yeah. Tesla would make. Uh, so I call it the horse La. Um, when she, <laughs> they're inside that that wagon talking, um, she says she don't like you know the a boar squeals like a, a little child when it's being you know killed. So as yeah. he and then he stabs it the second time and then drives it to the ground and he's just like it's taking everything he has. <laughs> so I'm wondering if you know his duty, you know, to slay the stag there is he's kind of like having you know some PTSD, you know, flashback issues to to oh, Emma to Aaron's death uh, uh, and baby Balon. He chooses you know to save the baby you know out of duty. He loves Emma. But his duty is to the realm and to produce an heir and all that. So if if him fulfilling his kingly duty of you know slaying the stag uh, for the royal hunt is just take his he's he's doing it because it's his duty, but it just seems like it's you know quite literally killing him in the process. Seriously, and this scene where he's stabbing the stag, it's also uh, remindful of Game of Thrones because I think it's in Game of Thrones episode three when they're heading south on the King's Road and Ned Stark is forced to mm. kill Lady Sansa's uh, direwolf. And it's he, those evil Lannisters. Yeah, and he has to choose duty over love there too, which he does. And you can tell it's, it hurts him on the inside too as he's forced to slaughter Lady, <laughs> the direwolf. A direwolf. So One of brutal. six direwolves in the entire universe yeah. that we know of. Oh man, Robert Stinky. was such a bastard in that scene for making yeah, him just do let that. Cersei basically rule the roost. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so That's Lannister. why I never like. I mean, Jamie was a very interesting character. You know, sort of like Damon, lots of flaws. But I mean, and he's he grows on you as the series goes along. But I just I like Tyrion too. But to me, they're they're lots of cunts. Cunts. Cersei. <laughs> Cersei is. Yeah, <laughs> Cersei is the you know, stereotypical Lannister to me. I mean, yep. this is my view and my opinion. And Jamie and Tyrion are the, what's the phrase? They're not the rule. They're exceptions. the exception to the Lannister rule. Um, so I just, I just, and then even now, Jason Lannister and his, Tylan, his advisor was, he was pretty, like Viserys kept trying to brush him off. 
that he kept on trying to, he's, he's like, I'm going to give you this report on the Stepstones, whether you want it or not. And then you're the yeah. king, you can do with it what you want. So Tylen seemed better to me than Jason, but uh, I just, man, not excited about the Lannisters being back <laughs> in the story. You know, you're a great king who everybody listens to when you tell the dude to shut the hell up and he keeps coming at you over and over with the debriefing, not worried about your wrath at all. You know, like they know that yeah. Viserys is just such a limp noodle. That uh, he's not going to do anything. The floppy dragon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the uh, uh, I don't know. I was thinking of some s- snake metaphor, but uh, I can't think of a word. Yeah, the floppy dragon. Hilarious. So, um, s- similar to uh, a Game of Thrones also, a Game of Thrones specifically, the first book of A Song of Ice and Fire, I heard Alt-Shift-X mention this. A white heart is spotted on that trip heading south on the King's Road as well with Sansa and uh, and everybody. And Sansa dreams that her gallant Prince Joffrey will be the one to slay it, which is kind of funny. So there's we're getting a white heart in season one or in, in book one of a, a, a Song of Ice and Fire. We're getting a white heart here. The white heart, as Otto describes later, represents it's like a symbol of kingship in the Seven Kingdoms, uh, which is pretty cool. Interestingly, Sir Kristen Cole, the newest member of the Kingsguard, is the only one who seems to notice Rhaenyra at all throughout this whole process. And he's, he sees her storm out of the, the tent after uh, Otto distracts Viserys for a second. She kind of like sneaks out and she hops on a white horse and starts riding off into the woods. And uh, that kind of reminded me of Arya riding away on a white horse in season eight after Daenerys roasts King's Landing. <clears throat> yeah, she finds that horse. Yeah, and um, similarly, Theon is in a horse chase, and he's on a white horse running through the, galloping through the woods before those dudes catch up to him and, like, pin him down and pull his pants down. <laughs> it was a cool scene until that part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's that cool horse chase with Brienne and Podrick, too, where she chases down the group oh, of yeah. dudes and slaughters them. There's a lot of cool horse chases in, in this series, which is fun. Definitely. I like the inclusion of the I always horses. try to look and see if I could tell if it's the stunt rider or if there's any, especially when they're going fast, if yeah, there's yeah, any yeah. scenes where I can definitely tell that it's the real, the actual actor on the horse. But I think mostly in this episode, it was a lot of stunt people. Yeah, I, I did not look that closely, but <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, it'd be but worth it. then we know, I mean, if they really wanted to, we know they can use a body double like they did for Cersei in the Walk of Shame and then just CGI Lena Headey's face onto another right, person. Right, right. Nope, uh, nope, they that's did definitely that. Rhaenyra's actress. I'll recognize that booty anywhere. Right, they, they, that did that. They, did, they did that with Arya when she's fighting Brienne in season seven or eight in the courtyard of Winterfell. Uh that Arya gets knocked down and she does that little, you know, oh, jumping jump off her back, flip, jump flip. That was totally the stunt person that did all that. They just CGI uh, Macy Williams' face onto the stunt actor and incredible put that in the show. So they could definitely do a lot of uh, wizard tr- wizardry and trickery with the CGI. Absolutely. Work. And nowadays they can do even more. They're like using body doubles for Luke Skywalker and putting. Mark Hamill's face on and then also deep faking it to make it look yeah. like he's younger. Yeah. It's like de-ageifying. Damn, yep. dude. So what they do with the Irishman, with what Scorsese did with the Irishman, with basically they aged up and aged down uh Joe Pesci, uh, oh, Robert Joe Pesci. De Niro, um uh, Al Pacino, all throughout that movie it kind of jumps back and forth through a, a long expanse of time. Um 
Cool. So yeah, I got to see that. And they shot the whole movie with like three this this setup, this like three different cameras, uh, for every shot, hmm. and they can use computers to like manipulate the image. It's really crazy. Whoa. Yeah, I've never heard of anything like that before. <laughs> uh, it's pretty cutting edge. I mean, yeah, that movie was made in the last, you know, two or three years. Nice. Yeah, I think I've heard of it, but I don't really know anything about it. I'll have to check it out. I like those actors, especially Joe Pesci and Al Pacino. <laughs> the, Joe Pesci's the man. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, Kristen and Rhaenyra stop before a beautiful lake here, and I'm just taking a minute as the horses are rearing up and calming down, and I'm looking at the forest, and it's just, what a beautiful place that they're shooting this at. It's like magical. <laughs> so nice. Uh, so she's all mad that her father is trying to sell her off to Jason Lannister, and... <laughs> Kristen Cole has a great line here. You want me to kill him? <laughs> that, yeah, it's like he plays it straight for a second. Yeah, I'm like, I think yeah. he's kidding. I don't know. I think he probably would have done it if she, uh, you know, he owes yeah, his life really, to her, like everything he's got yeah. now, uh, which he points out. And uh, in this moment too, like offering to put his everything on the line for her, you want me to kill him? It's sort of maybe foreshadowing a romance between these mm-hmm. two. I, I'm getting a little bit of vibing between them. And she's like, why don't we enjoy the forest, Sir Kristen? You know? <laughs> she's uh, a beautiful day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she, yeah, exactly. So we should take in the King's Wood. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, so we're, <laughs> they're, they're talking about Sir Kristen and if he's ever been betrothed. And he's he's saying that he was adventurous as a youth when his father was served at Black Haven, you know, so he got around, it seems like. But uh, his station was never high enough for a formal betrothal. But interestingly, when he uh, he could have married a common-born girl before he chose to, spoke, to speak his vows as a knight of the Kingsguard. So in this circumstance, Sir Criston chooses duty over love and duty is the death of love in this case. You know, now he can't get married. He can't do any of that stuff officially. Uh, so, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting, a reversal of the love being the death of duty that we got with Jon Snow and Ygritte of, <laughs> in Game of Thrones. And it's there's another interesting exchange where Rhaenyra says to him, oh, how lucky you are to have a say in your own life. And he's like, you know... Princess, many of the people in the realm would gladly trade positions with you. She's like, only because none of them has ever held my position. And this reminded me again of the sword of Damocles and how the king let Damocles sit in the throne for a day, but hung a sword over him with a horse's hair, a single horse hair. And Damocles was like, I'm, I'm done with this to symbolize the danger of being in the throne. And he gave up the throne in less than a day, realizing, you know, not being able to deal with the constant danger of sitting in the throne, the most most dangerous seat in Westeros, as they say. And uh, she says, I may be the princess of Dragonstone, but I am toothless. And I thought that was maybe like a how to drain your, how to train your dragon reference, maybe. I don't know. thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. So uh, he points out to her, like, not so long ago, you held enough power to write my name into the, into the white book. And when, and when your father named me to his king's guard, it was the highest honor any Cole has ever known. All that I have, I owe to you. Now, I'd hardly call that toothless, princess. And this sort of put things in perspective. She's changed his life and his family's place in history. And I dare suggest it may have earned her his undying loyalty. Ride or die, Team Rhaenyra. <laughs> Let's go. 
me and yeah. Kristen Cole. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Kingsguard versus Marine. That'd be a pretty good good fight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so next we're with King Viserys as he's drinking alone by the fire and Queen Alicent comes to, to join him. And she's asking him how, if he's ever, everything's all right. And he's sort of reflecting on the situation and talking about how he named her Rhaenyra, his heir, to protect the realm from Daemon. She was his only child, known as the realm's delight. You know, she must have been, like, just lo- loved by the small folk uh, mm-hmm. for being, like, the cute little princess, you know, growing up and everything. He says, I named her out of love because I, out of love, you know, le- love versus duty. I named her out of love because I no longer believed. And she's like, believed what? And he goes into this whole you know, this whole thing about the dreams, the dreams comes back. Many in my line have been dragon rider riders, but very few among us have been dreamers. And I thought this was an elegant way of stating this with carefully chosen words, referencing Danes, the dreamer, uh, who saved them from the, the, the Targaryens from the fate of the doom of Valyria and Aegon, whose secret prophecy uh, warns of the white walkers in the future. And he's already passed this secret on to Rhaenyra, and the prophecy is shared only only to the heir, you know? So this is like a sacred um, tradition that he's already fulfilled. And he's feeling conflicted about the whole situation at this point because uh, he made Rhaenyra his heir, but now he's had a, a baby son, and there's this whole... During this hunt, they've gotten word of the White Heart, which is potentially a sign from the gods favoring Aegon, so he's wondering if he's made a mistake by choosing Rhaenyra. And uh, he says that he, when Rhaenyra was a child, he saw in a dream, as vivid as the flames that there's before them, that he, a male babe would be born to him wearing the conqueror's crown. And he, he wanted it to be true. He wanted it to be a dreamer like Aegon, who everybody idolizes, and like Danes, who everybody worships for saving the family. And he, night after night, he tried to, to relive it and to recapture that moment and to solidify the, the dream, but he could never find it again. It never came to him again. He poured all of his thought and will into it. And, and he realizes now that his obsession killed Rhaenyra's mother, Emma, as he chose the child over her, just in the hope of that dream. And it reminded me of um, Maester Aemon, who said that dragon dreams killed all of his brothers. Um, mm. I think that, was Egg one of his brothers? I think so. Yeah, you know, these various dreams that these people have, Egg, for instance, became so obsessed with hatching a dragon and bringing back dragons and everything that he set Summerhall on fire and killed everybody, basically. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's over and over throughout the Targaryens, we have these these kings and and princes that believe in these dreams that they have because of Danes and maybe because of Aegon. And it just, it leads to their doom over and over again. And in this case, his dreams, he's, he's lamenting that it's killed his his love, his Rhaenyra's mother, which is brutal. And he's he's explaining, you know, that I thought Rhaenyra was the way out of his abyss of grief and naming her would begin to set things right and he never imagined that he would remarry and that he would have a son, but now there's he has a son and it's Aegon. And the there's rumors of this white heart in the woods that the gods might be favoring Aegon. And he's wondering if he was wrong. 
It's like on one hand, he gave his word to Rhaenyra and he feels dedicated to her and she's counting on him and he feels an allegiance to her. And uh, he passed on the prophecy to her. He let her in on the great secret. And on the other hand, his dream of a son named Aegon has now seemingly come true. And the gods are seemingly gifting Aegon with their blessing with the sighting of the white heart. And he finds himself once more at a crossroads between duty and destiny and love and his own desires. And he has to choose between whether he'll play his part in what he imagines as his destiny and his, his duty to do so, or whether he'll choose love over that destiny and duty. And uh, as we know, love is a death of duty is a theme that weighs heavily on Game of Thrones and the, the series as a whole. And the, what he decides will have vast implications. You know, Jaehaerys chose duty at the cost of Rhaenys' honor and his own desires and uh, kept the realm at peace. For a short while. Yeah, for a short while at least. But this is all becoming too much for Viserys to handle. He's like falling apart. And the longer he puts off handling it, the worse everything seems to get. Symbolized by how we see now that he's now missing two fingers. He's got the, the glove folded up at one time. And by not amputating it immediately, the infected pinky, he let the rot spread and he ended up losing two fingers instead of one. Double the damage because of his indecisiveness. And this basically seems to sum up his reign in a nutshell. Help, I'm trapped in a nutshell. How did I get into this nutshell? <laughs> you know? Yeah, at the end of that scene with uh, him and Allison Hightower out there by the bonfire, he, he ends it with, uh, he says, what if I was wrong? Yeah. And at first I was thinking, well, it's a two-edged quote. A couple what ways if I you was could wrong? read it, yeah. Yeah, what if I was wrong in the dream? Yeah, what if I was wrong about the prophecy? Knowing, you know, the his dream, you know, or prophecy that he would have a, a male son wearing the conqueror's crown. So what if he got that wrong, which he thinks he did because, you know, baby Balon died, Emma died. And so there's that way to read it. Or what if I was wrong to name Rhaenyra heir? That's the way I think he meant because, it. Because since he named her heir, that's it. It's set. And if he changes his mind, you know, how does that make him look as king? Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, things changed. He remarried. Now he has a male heir. But Rhaenyra was first. She's the eldest, you know, obviously a girl. So, And that's the whole, the crux of the matter with all the, the lords of the great houses of Westeros. They expect a male heir just because of tradition. And that's the, the way it has always been. But he gave his word to Rhaenyra and to the whole seven kingdoms. All the great lords came and bent the knee and swore fealty to Viserys and his heir, Rhaenyra. So... That, that's his word. And if your word is is not going to be honored, if your word isn't your bond, then as a king, as a ruler, as a leader, as a commander, if, you, if your word isn't your bond, then your word is useless. Yeah. Um, and your, your, your rule, you know, whether it's over a kingdom or over a family or you know, a business or whatever you're doing, it, your rule is going to crumble if, if people don't trust your, your word and, you know, honoring the agreements that you made. Yeah. Speaking of Al Pacino, doesn't he have a line? What is it? Donnie Brasco. I got two things in this world, my word and my balls, and I don't break them for nobody. <laughs> you know, something so like that. Viserys says, I, you know, at the end, you know, he says, he tells Rhaenyra he faltered, but, you know, we, we can cover that in a little bit probably, but, you know, he reassures her that she's the one. 
So it's yep. it's going to be get very interesting going forward. Absolutely, and I think it's this the scene where they find the captured heart, the the the, the buck here, and they they see that it's not white. And Otto looks upset, like the sign from the mm-hmm. gods is not manifested, and it could be a sign from the gods against Egon, his grandson. Right. And but this, a regal portent, <laughs> yeah, such a cool phrase. <laughs> and uh, but I think it's this this sign that Viserys takes to heart, and he realizes that the gods don't want Egon, and that he's made the right decision in honoring Rhaenyra with the the heirhood. And uh, it's after this, seeing that the the buck, the heart is brown, that he makes his final decision and tells Rhaenyra in their next meeting, you know, when they're back at the Red Keep, that like, I'm not changing my mind. You're you're my heir. That's what it's going to be. Yeah, I swear to you now on your mother's memory, you will not be supplanted. Yeah, and that means something. So, uh, yeah, the brown heart, affirms his decision and he follows through with it at least thus far but uh, yeah he makes th- another decision on his own which is good you know uh and it's in that scene where he's talking with uh Alicent where where he says that Daemon would sooner die than accept help from him <laughs> which is hardcore so then when he's speaking of with Rhaenyra He's talking about how he was, you know, betrothed to Emma and it wasn't his choice, but he ended up loving her and she made a man out of him and that he's not happy with the position that Rhaenyra is in. She's been alone these last few years and angry and he wants to see her happy. And uh, she's like, you think a man will do that? She don't need no man, you know. (laughs) He's like a family. I had a family. And uh, he tells her, she's like, what, what would you have me do? If you were thinking of uh, your duty, you would have married Lena Valerian. And he's like, that's true enough. So he's basically admitting here. And he does say that, you know, he, he chose Alicent for love. He tells her, you must marry, strengthen your own claim, shore up your succession, multiply. And as for your match, make it yourself. Search him out. Find one that pleases you as I did. So I had been wondering, you know, whether Alicent had gotten pregnant and he had to sort of <laughs> wed her for duty <laughs> and to not dishonor her and his hand, her father, because that would be pretty bad if he got the hand's daughter yeah. pregnant and then let it be a bastard. You know, Otto would be pissed off and he would be in a good position to screw over Viserys in a lot of different ways. Yeah, potentially create a Blackfire situation. Yeah, so he could have, yeah, exactly. So he may have been forced to marry her by duty, but he says that he chose her uh, for love here. And so that's kind of a good little thing to know. And Rhaenyra looks shocked to hear all of this straightforward speech from Viserys. It's been years and and he hasn't been able to get this message across. And like he admits in the next line, I did waver at one time. Uh, Yeah, like two days ago when I thought that the gods sent a white heart for Aegon. But uh, he swears now on his mother's memory, on her mother's memory, like you said. And but finally, he makes a decision and makes it clear to Rhaenyra after years of not cementing her position in the line of succession in her mind, telling her that you know, like you will not be supplanted, which is awesome to uh, you know see, basically. So yeah, Viserys' whole thing is he, and he even says that he he wants to make everybody happy or as many people happy as you can. Right. 
And I mean, that's a noble goal, but rule when you're ruling a kingdom, there, there's no way you can make everybody happy. You can't make Otto happy and Rainier happy. Yeah, it's like uh, it gets caught make, in between, and that's that in, indecision and uncertainty that ends up coming back to bite him every time. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, that, so he had, deep down, I think he has a good heart. He cares about Rhaenyra. He cares about baby Aegon. He wants what's best for everybody. Very much so. But you can't, you can't make everybody's outcome be exactly what they want. So, and he has a hard time disappointing, you know, party A, but giving party B what they want. He wants everybody to get everything that they want. And it's just, you know, that's an untenable position, you know, to try to rule from. Yeah. So he, and like you said, with the two fingers. And then we, did you see like the, the, it shows his, his, when he's back in the red keep uh, and Allison comes in to talk to him, like it shows him without oh, the gloves on and everything. I missed it. They're, oh no, it's gnarly. So, I mean, it's so it like bad. It's really bad. Like they're halfway like gone and what's left is still black. And oh. looks like rotting. So yeah, go Damn. back in that scene where it was right before uh, they you go to the Stepstones, and that's the whole rest of the episode. You know, the battle there. Yeah. He and Allison. Allison it gets basically sent there by Otto to right. try to talk Viserys into uh, naming Aegon heir. But they they talk for a minute about Rhaenyra, and then there's that letter from Vaymond uh, Valerion on the table, and Allison ends up reading it. And she talks Viserys into sending them help. Brilliant. But in that scene, uh, in that scene, look on it's his left hand, because that's where the hand he cut on the throne in episode one. Um, <laughs> it's like two fingers, like half of the these two fingers are gone and they're still black. Both of them are still black. So oh, rugged. You know, it's I don't want to like look, cut but it. I have to. <laughs> it's not like they cut it and it's all better now. It still looks it's gnarly. Still and part up. of the digits are already lost. So whereas like Davos Seaworth, uh, he just lost the fingers in a cut from Stannis right. and that's it. But this is like a continuing ongoing rot situation. Oh, so if you know, our, our our viewers and listeners, if y'all didn't see that, go back and rewatch that scene and look at look at his left hand because he it shows it on the screen for a little while. And it's very obvious to see it's it's bad. That's gnarly. Yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to checking that out again. <laughs> So uh, that wraps up my number, uh, whatever it was, number four, uh, Love is the Death of Duty for Viserys, nice. Rhaenyra, and then the reverse for Kristen Cole, who chose duty over love. <laughs> so uh, what's your number three? My number three is uh, we open the very first uh, images of the episode are right. fire. The Valerian banner on the beach at uh, in the Stepstones is on fire, and then there's that, and then they kind of zoom out and kind of pan over, and this whole ship is on fire, and that looks so real. Cool. Like it's really hard for, to do CGI fire and yeah. make it look good and look real. I don't know if they burned a whole boat or not, but or if they did it in the volume. So uh, I saw this feature online this week where the Mandalorian started it in season one. Basically, they have this big, the way they shoot a lot of these scenes and the way they shot the scene on the bridge of Dragonstone last episode with the Hightower and Rhaenyra versus the Gold Cloaks and Damon. They, they, there's this 360 stay, sound stage basically that they build and there's all these LCD screens all the way around them awesome. and you film inside of it. Enormous. 
and LCD screens above them too. Yeah, you can see on the camera. So you can see the fantasy set and the castle on screen, on camera, live as you shoot it. Crazy. What the volume provides in its tool form is an alternative. It's a way of bringing the action back home. It has over 2,000 LED screens. It is completely enclosed. It operates with the camera. There are 92 motion capture cameras, and what those do is solve the position of where the principal camera is. And that information gets passed into Unreal Engine, which is a game engine. It's that next evolution of the ability to see your visual effects live in camera while you're shooting. Ultimately, on the set, there was just this unadorned bridge. So really cool. So anyway, they're, they're, I don't know if they did that scene with the boat burning in the volume, but... It looked real to it's me. It's really cool. It looked real. So yeah. they may have burned a boat on a beach somewhere and filmed it. But anyway, so we open the very beginning of the episode, we open with fire. And you, do you remember the closing image of the episode? No. <laughs> I just watched it's, it like 20 minutes ago. It's this slow zoom on Damon. And oh, he's covered in blood. blood. Right. Fire, Fire and blood. blood. Are bookends nice. of the episode. So I just, I like to note how, how the episodes, like the very, like a bunch do Game of Thrones, they open with fire and it was sort of a Daenerys episode sometimes, or it would open with ice on the wall and you're zooming down the ice and it's, you know, Jon Snow at the wall doing X, Y, or Z. So I just, we open with fire and we close with blood. Awesome. It's just perfect bookends for this whole episode and House Targaryen and everything that's going on. Beautiful. Good catch. That's really badass. I have another note about that opening scene, which is how the crabs are eating that dude in this case when he's, you know, taunting the uh, Prince Prince Drahar, as he calls him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the way that the crabs are eating him and being used sort of reminds me of the way that the rats were used to torture people at Harrenhal to get them to talk. Uh, Remember yeah, with the they, well, they put them in a bucket and then <laughs> it, put heat underneath the bucket so they eat them. Easier to chew your way out through the flesh than through the steel. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's that's a historical yeah oh yeah tor- torture that's, method that was really used. Yup, definitely, definitely and probably still used in some corners of the world. Absolutely, I w- you know <laughs> I would imagine so <laughs> for sure. Uh, uh, I mean, it kind of is not really part of my top three, but it's in that that opening scene with with Damon and Caraxes just burning the beach. The night is dark and full of terrors, like Caraxes. Go for it. What you got? Um, so it's really cool. They started shooting the the flaming arrows, and Damon and Caraxes, or I don't know if the Caraxes did it instinctively, but he just lifts his wings, and I'm like, I wonder if they're gonna. Those arrows are going to tear through his wings, but he's got some like serious arm, leathery armor, even on the wings, which are this thin, you know, usually translucent kind of material. They just bounce right off of it. So cool. Um, you know, and it protects Damon, you know, from a, a, a whole bunch a of arrows in the first few volleys. Uh, and then one eventually connects with Damon, and immediately, what did Caraxes do? Screeches. Ah! And Caraxes didn't get hit that we see to where it you know, it hit him and stuck in him and hurt him. So there seems to be this kind of instantaneous. Instantaneous. This, I mean, it's a blood bond, basically, between dragon and dragon rider. And what what the dragon rider feels, the dragon feels or knows and can 
realize what's going on, and then he starts, you know, getting his running start, takes off, you know, to get out of there. But there's so there's definitely yeah. more than just here's the dragon and here's the rider, and the dragon lets him ride. Like there's this deeper some kind uh, of you know spiritual, biological spiritual connection, connection to it. Yeah, and, and it's not unlike um, a warg as they you know the dude uh, rolls his eyes back and starts flying around in a uh, mm-hmm. in, in an eagle they feel the pain of the animal or vice versa and i imagine there there could be a similar connection between starks and their dire wolves which is more of a thing in the books than in the show but bran, yeah, I mean, bran has it some in the show but yeah in the books they kind of all at different at the very least have these warging dreams yeah wolf dreams Bran doesn't even want to leave him because he can run around with all his, you know, like his legs are working. Mm-hmm. He's eating the flesh and stuff. <laughs> it's like hardcore. Arya has some wolf dreams too, right? I believe so. Yeah, I can't remember if Sansa has any, but I think John does. Arya does. Bran obviously does consciously and unconsciously. Um, I don't think they really get into that with Rob. They might. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember Book either. Um, yeah. And as Caraxes takes off, you know, after shielding uh, Daemon there, he flies through the air, his body's squirming, kind of like a twisting serpent, like some kind of crazy elongated worm snake-like thing. Yeah, it's it's really cool design for Caraxes. Yeah, he just looks so crazy. Very unique shape. And then we get a great transition from, uh, like, all this burning and fire and dudes roasting on the beach to a roasted pig with double pig, you know, with two heads on the table at the, uh, at the feast or something oh, yeah. at the nice beginning. Transition. Yeah. And that, and that's that moment where we learn that Viserys has a child, a new a son, an egg on nonetheless. And it's like, Oh God, this is going to complicate things. <laughs> yep. Very. Yeah. And the plot thickens. Yeah. And it's interesting. We, we, during this scene, we have, uh, Sir Otto Hightower speaking with his older brother, Lord Hobart Hightower. And uh, Hobart is kind of pushing Otto to angle to make Aegon the next heir, trying to con- get him to convince Viserys. He's like, do what you got to do to get it done, basically. And I thought it was interesting that when Otto suggested a potential marriage for Rhaenyra later on in the episode, he suggested Aegon. As Rhaenyra's... Mm-hmm. Very you know, interesting. Yeah, so which wouldn't necessarily put Aegon in line to be king. He might still be king consort. And it sort of seemed like a half measure by Otto. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. which kind of surprised me. Yeah, so um, what was the Lord Hightower? Bar- uh, Hobag? Hobart? I mean, Hobart. Hobart. <laughs> Hobag. Nice. <laughs> Hobart, Hobart Hightower. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, they're at this little breakfast before the, I presume it's breakfast, because they say that uh, Lord Jason expects them in the Kingswood by midday. Ah, uh, so ham makes sense. Yeah. A little breakfast, uh, some breakfast uh, meats, uh, <laughs> some ham and some sausages, maybe. Um, so Hobart uh, Hightower is there, you know, you know, basically giving Otto his marching orders, it seems like. Um, because he's the, Hobart is the, the patriarch of the family, the Lord of, of, uh, the Hightower yep. and, you know, basically Lord of Old Town. And he's trying to get Otto to make Viserys, uh, change his mind about Rainier bearing, being heir and making baby Aegon the uh, heir to the Iron Throne. And then he, you know, is, once they get out to the Kingswood, uh, Hobart, uh, is... 
you know, given, you know, that rah-rah, you know, speech about baby, uh, baby Aegon the Conqueror, the Conqueror babe. Yeah, um, yeah. For a second of his name. And just basically just trying to play up and get into people's minds that baby Aegon should be heir, not Rhaenyra. Yeah. So it, this was just an interesting little planting seeds. interaction between the older brother and the younger brother, Otto, um, trying to see, trying to get... Otto to use his position and having the king's ear as hand to influence uh, and do the politicking that Viserys you know, comes to despise so much. Yeah, pretty crazy. Almost like he's the one that's been bossing Otto around this whole time. Yeah, from the high tower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sitting sitting in his high seat in his, in his glass tower, his ivory tower. <laughs> right, and then Otto sort of takes that into as the episode goes along, he has a conversation with Allison, um, and he says, uh, which is another you know a kind of a big quote of, with things going forward. He yeah. tells Otto tells Allison, "The road ahead is uncertain, but the end is clear." Yeah, which I mean has a lot. That simple little statement has a <laughs> lot of ramifications what? in the story going forward. It's sort of a meta commentary about the show too, because we know what the outcome will be theoretically based on the books, you know, based on the recorded history, but the road there is not quite clear because things could change. Things could differ. We don't know what the maesters were accurate about and what they were wrong about. Like, um, Missaria being pregnant, you know, so yep. things in the history could be wrong, things that could play out differently, kind of like they do in versus the TV show and the books. So it's a meta statement on a number of different levels, which I liked too. And that statement, that mention of uncertainty, you know, that plays into my number two, which is uncertainty. And so thank you for covering the beginning, <laughs> covering some of my point for me. Excellent. What Making a second. We don't plan either. these ahead of time either. <laughs> Anything else you wanted to add about that? Or should we just jump into? Uh... No, that's it. Just high towers going to high tower. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, all right. Yeah. Uncertainty is my uh, my number two, which seems to be a overarching theme of this whole episode as well. And uh, it starts off off from the beginning when we see Rhaenyra. We, we get the, the breakfast scene. We learn that there's a, a conqueror, or a new babe, Aegon, and then it cuts to Rhaenyra after Viserys has no idea where she is, hinting again that there's further estrangement, which we do learn. And uh, she's lounging in the godswood reading, and she's tor being tormented by the uncertainty of her position in the line of succession as we're able to deduce from the from like the kind of tone of things that's going on. Alicent arrives searching for her, and she's sitting there listening to this bard play music, and he's, he kind of reminded me of Yaskier. Is, is that how you pronounce yeah, that? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that's my number two. <laughs> my number two is uh, Rhaenyra versus Alicent in the Godswood, and uh, how Yaskier, the human iPod, uh, comes into plays into their uh, little tête-à-tête. -tête. Nice. So I'll just say so, a couple of things real quick, and then you can cover the the majority of the scene. Uh, I just thought it was funny because they're like at odds. Clearly, both kind of you know, Rhaenyra is more worried about her position and is the uncertainty, and they both start ordering around the bard and for a second the, even the bard is uncertain you know <laughs> just who he's supposed to uh, be taking orders from but yeah you go ahead and cover this scene since it's your number two yeah oh, Alice walks up and well before that he finishes the song and Rhaenyra treats him like her iPod shuffle yeah like, like a repeat, jukebox repeat the song again and he's, he's like, like shaking his fingers wouldn't, wouldn't the princess you know, yeah, he's <laughs> tired of playing the same few chords for that song um <laughs> Wouldn't the princess like to hear a different song? No, play it again. 
So he starts again. Uh, and then Allison shows up and he stops and says, your grace, because that's the queen. He's playing for the princess. But then the queen walks up. Yeah. So he's got to stand up, you know, bow, on deck. And do all the customs and certainties. <laughs> exactly. Like attention on deck in the military. Uh, he says, your grace. And then Rhaenyra doesn't even look up. And she says, did I tell you to stop? Or did I, you know, say stop? And then so he's like, okay, there's the queen. The queen didn't say don't play. So now the princess <laughs> is saying play. So let me start again. So he starts playing, uh, and they're just like, hey, man, what an awkward position. You're just a lowly singer, a bard, you know, and this is, I mean, he may be a, the royal bard, or he may just be a passer through that they've, you know, hired on for a week. I don't right, know, you true, know how true. these things work in the universe. But he's just there in between them, and Allison, you know, it's, you know, tells her that she, you know, she's needed, uh, she should go on the hunt, and Rhaenyra is trying to blow her off. Um and then Allison tells the bard, you can leave. I think is how it plays out. And then uh, Rhaenyra says, no, stay. And then Allison says, the, you know, you, you can pull up the direct quote. Yeah, the queen escalates. says, leave, you're done. And he's like, you may go, Samwell. And then <laughs> she's like, you are to stay by order of the princess. And then it escalates further. The queen commands you to leave the gods. Yeah, everybody, when people start throwing around their titles, the princess says, stay. The queen commands you leave, Samuel. Uh, and then he's like, okay, thank God the queen, you know, this. the king's not here. So the queen uh, is the final say-so in this scenario. So Plus my fingers are sore anyway. So He probably wanted nothing more than to leave to an hour ago <laughs> when he was trying to, uh, get, to play a different song. But... It, uh, and then Allison plays the queen card. Um, be careful. She could move in any direction. Nice. Um, and then they, you know, they have their conversation and you can see the, the emotional toll that this, the marriage and the baby and the last three years, the, the toll that has been taken on their friendship and how on the outs Rhaenyra feels uh, within, in this family. So it's uh it's very uh their situation is very um tenuous at best. Yeah, and it's interesting too the contrast because we first saw them together at this same set location and they were like lying down on each you know like Rhaenyra had her head on yeah. Allison's lap and they were all buddy buddy and Rhaenyra was the one in the power dynamic who was like on top she was ripping pages out of the book saying fuck the septa you know, stuff like that. And now the power dynamics are reversed and Rhaenyra is like miserable and Alicent is like, you can tell she just wants to be her friend. And like, you know, she, she's clearly happy. She's the queen also, but she's, you can tell she's upset. She's like, she's like, it doesn't have to be this way. You know, <laughs> like, like, come on, just be cool. I liked how the, the bard was singing that song about Nymeria also. Mm-hmm. They're trying to, uh, What's the dream movie where you put a dream inside of a dream? Inception. Oh, they're trying. <laughs> they're trying to uh, Inception, Nymeria, and Ten Thousand Ships. The concept of that show into our brains for uh, another spinoff. Oh yeah. Oh, that'd be pretty cool. They are doing something like that, working on it in de development, aren't they? I believe so. Yeah. Nice. So Alicent's dress uh, is red. Targaryen red and this alone probably angers Rhaenyra you know she's like I'm supposed to be the queen and you're wearing my colors and taking my place you know <laughs> like supplanting mm -hmm. me and oh man it's crazy yeah she's not stoked to be upstaged by her former friend here 
And like I said, Alicent looks genuinely saddened by the loss of her friendship with Rhaenyra. Uh, anything else you want to add about that scene? Or? I think that's it. All right. So uh, the next bit of uncertainty we get is, uh, like you talked about with Otto and his brother, they're like, you know, trying to make moves because the future is uncertain. Then, uh, you know, Viserys starts off the episode pretty certain about things, but it then once they uh, they get to the the hunt and they get word of the White Heart, that's when uncertainty starts to take its toll on Viserys because he's like, oh my god, like the gods are sending a sign, but I've already done this other thing. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny how when the guy goes to hand him a piece of poop, <laughs> he takes off his gloves. <laughs> Right. Let me see the uh, moisture content in this dung. (laughs) How how it tastes, you know. The only thing he didn't do is taste it. Really, he's like rubbing it around his fingers, and then he puts the glove back on and like seals in the the shisa inside of the glove. (laughs) Which and Otto is kind of watching like for like a a couple seconds. Hilarious. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's at this point where Otto begins angling at the behest of Hobart talking about the significance of the sign and portent of the the white heart and what it means and how it's signified royalty for tradi- traditionally in this. And then later on, after Rhaenyra storms out and everything, Viserys is watching over the group as they dine and he's just miserable. He's caught in this un- stage of like, paralysis with uncertainty about what his decisions should be. And he's drinking and drinking and getting wasted. And Jason Lannister shows up with his forged uh, golden uh, spear to give to him, which is pretty badass looking spear. I thought that was cool. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, very nice. He, he tells, you know, I would be honored to take Princess Rhaenyra to wife, your grace. And what I offer you, the crown and your daughter is strength. And it's like, <laughs> Poor choice of words, Batman. Very very poor choice of words, Batman. (laughs) Yeah, and he's like, what do you think the house Targaryen wants for strength? Are you saying we're weak? And he's like, no, no, I mean, like, you know, just like if someone offered you more dragons, you'd take it, right? He's like, what do you have dragons to offer? Yeah, (laughs) Viserys kind of looks up and it's like, this tent is the size of most people's castle. Yeah. We're just out here for a, we're out here for a few days on a hunt. Look around you. Do you think we're, do you think we're, you know, you know, becoming poor or it's like, we're, we're the Targaryens. We yeah. have dragons. So, so what are you talking about, man? And he just sticks all of his feet in his mouth and everybody's feet around him just start going in his mouth as he makes a bigger, digs a bigger and bigger hole for himself. Uh, mm-hmm. He's like talking about how Casterly Rock is a splendid seat and she could, you know, Rhaenyra could feel you know, happy and herself and and feel well compensated for her loss of station if she moved in. Loss of station. Yeah. What, what you like, talking about, Willis? Loss <laughs> of station. About, yeah. And uh he's like, you know, if if you were to name young Aegon heir, your grace. And he's like, why would I be doing that? And he, he makes the bad decision of assuming, which you know Assume. about assuming makes an ass out of you and me. <laughs> and he's talking about how many of the bannermen, many of the lords had assumed that he would make Aegon his son and his, or his, his heir. And he's like, are, what are you saying? That your bannermen 
are questioning my choice of air, current, my current choice, you know? And he's like, no, no, we're not questioning it. And he's like, it's your duty to report rebellion stirring in my kingdom. And he's like, no. Yeah, Viserys <laughs> totally turns the tables on him. Oh my God. Yeah, that's like the he's strongest like, This is the one him. time he has like gone into king mode. Yeah. You know, where, where Joffrey stayed, but in, in a petty way. Joffrey was always like, you're setting a rebellion off with his head, you know, just immediately. <laughs> so Viserys just jumps right down his throat and just shuts down all that nonsense about changing who's going to be heir, uh, marrying marrying her off, you know, just uh, so that she'll be compensated for not becoming queen. He so like good. Immediately. I mean, this is still a public. I mean, they're not holding court like formally, but I mean, it's they a big open tent. Are, and people, I mean, this. It's everybody, all the important people are there. The gossip and, uh, will Jason be Lannister, Exactly. Jason Lannister comes in there basically thinking he knows what's up. And Viserys totally shuts him down. Yeah, he like has the unsaid message. He's like, loud and clear. I know what you're planning. You're going to be naming egg on your air and everything. And <laughs> rebellion? There's, There's been nothing of the sort, your grace. I, I, <laughs> I did not decide to name Rhaenyra my heir on a whim. All the lords of the kingdom would do well to remember that. You know, thank you for the gift. <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah, he, he sends Lannister, you know, running off with his tail between his legs. Yeah. And, you know, it's his Lannister's pride. You know, his pride has pride. Uh, <laughs> he, his pride, you know, took it upon himself to make the golden spear. And but that was just a pretense to have that conversation yeah. about marriage, basically a, a in-person marriage proposal. Viserys has already said he's drowning in parchment from marriage proposals from all over the realm. And this one is just in person. But mm-hmm. the way Lannister goes about it and presumes to know what the king is going to do about the, the succession and Viserys, you know, stands up, you know, on his hind legs and just totally rebuffs, rebuffs. Uh, Jason Lannister and puts him in his place. Nice word there. Yeah. And it goes to show you just uh, like the fact that this conversation took place at all, that there's uncertainty among the bannermen of the kingdom. They're, they're not yep, sure. There's, a, there's if, a male, there's a male heir and he's two years old. He's survived, you know, those, First two years of infancy uh, that claim a lot of children, you know, in these times. Exactly. So he's he's well on his way to, you know, barring some crazy you know, accident or happenstance. Baby Aegon's well on his way to, uh, you know, ch- the rest of his childhood and uh, on his way to the Iron Throne as yep. far as a lot of those uh, lords and bannermen are concerned. Absolutely. And... Uh, <laughs> Viserys is just getting so stressed out over this whole situation and more and more drunk. You can tell that the um, the lack of dialogue and back and forth and relationship with Rhaenyra is just killing him. It's killing him. Yeah. And he, he sends him away. Thank you for the gift. And then he goes, wine. <laughs> you know, like, asks for more wine. And it reminded Tyrion me moves. of King Robert, who would be like, wine! Yeah. You know, but it was like weak and deflated. <laughs> He's always doing that. King Robert, hilarious. Yeah. Tyrion, too. Tyrion's always trying to top off the wine glass. Yeah. Wine. Which, what was it? Was it? Was it? Which wedding did Tyrion get wasted and basically totally Joffrey's pulled wedding. Joffrey off? Was that, jo- or was, that San- was that Tyrion and Sansa's wedding? Oh, it I might have remember. been. Yeah. I don't remember. I'm not sure either. Maybe it was In season two. Maybe or three. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because the purple wedding where Joffrey's marrying Marjorie is, you know, his spoiler alert uh, (laughs) is Joffrey's demise. But I think it's Tyrion and Sansa's marriage in maybe season two or three. 
Yeah, maybe that three. Because right. the end of season two was the Battle of Blackwater. Oh yeah, because they're inside. Thing. It's his own marriage. He's all pissed. He stabs stabs the thing with the knife, and that he's all like, he's got to go off to bed with Sansa, and he's just like. I know you don't want Doesn't to do wanna. this, you know, like yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is all wasted. But anyway, yeah, Terry, Tyrion gets wasted and just tells Joffrey more than a piece of his mind. And uh, yeah. Joffrey, Joffrey wants to take his head, but Tywin, Tywin I think, intervenes <laughs> and is like, okay, he's, uh, Tyrion's in his cups. Let's, in his uh, cups. Love that phrase. I was writing that about Viserys in this scene that yeah, he's in Viserys his cups. Viserys was in his cups. <laughs> um I think it's worth mentioning or talking about having a little back and forth about how dangerous this whole situation is. As long as Aegon is alive and Rhaenyra is the heir, Aegon is in danger. There could be a a Rhaenyra loyalist who wants to eliminate the threat to her reign. And so Aegon might be killed and, you know, smothered in his sleep as a babe to prevent the threat to Rhaenyra's uh, heirhood. Eliminating him. Yeah, exactly. Or, 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 yeah, and, and if, if Aegon grows up and, I mean, we'll see what happens in, in the weeks uh, ahead in the show, but people loyal to Aegon, uh, that, the people that want a male heir, they might seek to uh, eliminate Rhaenyra from the scenario altogether. Yeah. And then there's, there's no question uh, right. that Aegon would take the Iron Throne. It's like John Perkins says in his book, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, about the CIA taking over third world countries or lesser, you know, powered countries than the U.S. First, they send in the, uh, like the economic hitmen, which is his job. And they, they use money and debt to bring countries under their power. And if that fails, if the countries won't comply, then they'll send in the jackals to take out the leaders and to install fresh mm. leaders. So first step for people uh, that are Aegon loyalists, the, the Hightower family would be to try to get Viserys to, uh, to name him the heir and negotiate that so no force has to be used. But if that fails, mm-hmm. then they would send in the jackals and try to assassinate Rhaenyra or prevent her from being able to to be the queen in the future. So I, I'm foreseeing like, you know, a potential escalation of um, tactics in the quest to protect Aegon and solidify his claim. Uh, it's pretty pretty crazy, and if if he's a uh, if he does end up being betrothed to Rhaenyra, even if they marry, it would be years before they can consummate the marriage, which leaves open the possibility of annulment and putting the, his succession in jeopardy, or whoever you know. And who would be the the king or the queen in that case anyway? It'd, like <laughs> you know, it would be Rhaenyra technically, right? If unless the succession gets changed, it's just a right. mess. Yeah. It, exactly, it is a mess, and you know, Hightower, Otto Hightower's idea of putting them together as a match, is sort of solidifies both of their p- claims. But it leaves the question: if Viserys never changes his public proclamation that Rhaenyra is heir, is Rhaenyra queen, and then Aegon, the oldest male heir, is king consort. Right. I basically, I, I mean, and I think they would just be king and queen, like. Alisane and Jaehaerys. Jaehaerys, yeah. That, which were brother and sister. And here they're half-brother and sister. And kind of like Aegon and his two sisters, too. The, uh, Rhaenys and Visenya both sat on the Iron Throne at times and gave commands right. and stuff like that. Held uh, court and stuff. Yeah. So it would be interesting, you know, if, you know, uh, if Marvel's done What If series, uh, Westeros <laughs> What If, uh, they didn't have the dance and they came together as, you know, half-brother, half-sister, King and Queen, 
and ruled the seven kingdoms together. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, but also, does any of it matter at all? Like, who Viserys chooses as his successor? Because remember, on King Robert's deathbed, he got, Ned got him to sign into law the, that the heir would be chosen, you know, later on or something. I don't remember exactly, but it didn't matter because mm-hmm. Cersei just whisked Joffrey away and had him crowned immediately before anything could be done and then ripped up the paper from Robert when Ned gave it to her and, uh, you know, like just basically commandeered the situation. So if something were to happen to Viserys, I could see something similar happening in this circumstance where both parties are just trying to make moves as quickly as possible to install their their proposed leader and uh, just chaos resulting. <laughs> right. I think even Rinley comes to Ned either as Robert is dying or right after he yeah, dies. Yeah, warns him, right? And and Renly, they're trying. Renly tries to to get Ned basically to rally the troops, you know, take over in the interim as hand and say, you know, steps one, two, and three. This is what's going to happen. But Ned just won't uh, do it. Ned okay. won't do Too it. Much He's like, let let the system play out. Let things play out. You know, the way they're supposed to. But Cerse, so that leaves the upper, the door open for Cersei to, like you said, come in, take commandeer the situation, install Joffrey. Arrest Ned. Yeah, we saw arrest, how that worked you know, out any, for Ned. Any and all dissent, and you know, yep, eliminate dead, baby. everybody who would. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert! Uh, <laughs> eliminate anybody who would question, you know, Joffrey's reign. And then Stannis is in the wind. Renly's in the wind. You know, Rob is in the north, and so he calls the bannermen as soon as uh, they take old Ned's head, and the story. Know, takes off from there. So. Yeah, crazy man. Lots of uncertainty. That was so intense. Remember that? Like seeing that for the first time. Mm-hmm. How crazy that was. Super bonkers. Um, so yeah, shenanigans are not out of the question in any in any like variation of this scenario moving forward. So there's a moment earlier when Rhaenyra is walking in to the festival after Hobart makes his proclamation about the conqueror babe, and she walks into the tent. And she's surrounded by by people, but she's completely alone. And she's just walking through, and Viserys is watching from a distance. And now it's like the opposite of that. Viserys is sitting there on the chair, surrounded by him subjects who are all his subjects who are all smiling and laughing and drinking and having a good time. And he's just utterly alone, just drowning himself in his cups in misery and inner tor- turmoil as the others laugh and celebrate. And it's like he's unraveling this whole scene. Like he's just getting more and more drunk and more and more flustered and (laughs) frustrated. And this is when Lionel Strong shows up and, uh, you know, tells him the situation, how they've sent people out to find Rhaenyra and Sir Kristen is is, uh, gone with her. And uh, he asks if, uh, if he wants to hear his opinion on the whole heirhood matter and situation of Rhaenyra's marriage. And he's like the one guy who isn't making moves for the betterment of his own family here. It's refreshing to hear somebody who's just who isn't motivated by personal gain exclusively and who is giving a logical solution. And he does he says makes the same suggestion that he gave when he said told Viserys earlier that he should marry Lena Valerion, that Rhaenyra should be betrothed to to Lenor Valerion, which makes sense. It would be the best match for Rhaenyra, the son of the sea snake. Um, 
His reasoning remains the same. Lenor is of pure Valerian descent. He shares blood with with her, his cousin, Princess Rhaenys. He's the heir to the wealthiest house in the realm. The breach between the houses could be narrowed, you know, because Corliss was spurned by his prior decision and they've sort of fallen out as well, it seems. It might assuage Lord Corliss of any slights real or imagined, you know, because he doesn't want to assume the king's intent or, <laughs> or yeah. you know, stuff like that. That was kind of a cool line. But we must pray, he says, that Lenor survives the fighting and the stepstones. And that, like, makes us think he's in a lot of danger. It, it's not till a little bit later we find out he's actually a dragon rider, you know, which is super awesome. Uh, exactly. Yeah, really epic. It, You know, I, I wrote down one of my notes is Lord Strong, always there with the good advice. Yep. You know, he doesn't yeah. seem to be self-serving. I wonder if when he walked up, his idea was to perhaps uh, just not necessarily a proposal, but just put an, an idea in Viserys's ear about Harwin Breakbones. Uh, strong. I mean, his name is Strong. He's the strongest guy in the realm. Yeah. And his nickname is Breakbones, the strongest knight in the realm, the supposedly. Badass name. I think he has uh, more to, you know, to be, so watch out for him and his brother, Harry's Her- Strong, the one with the club foot. Oh, yeah. So there's a club foot and then there's Breakbones. Both of those are uh, going to have more to do as the story unfolds. But, um, I wonder if Lord Strong had that in mind when he walked up. And then once Viserys said it, let me guess, you want Breakbones to marry Rhaenyra. It's like, oh, he's already come up with it. I don't have to say it. Oh, never mind. Uh, Oh, no, Your Grace. Uh, He should marry Laenor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Rhaenyra should marry Laenor. I don't think, I mean, I think he was coming with that idea anyway. But I just wonder if he changed his tune once Viserys sort of guessed what he was up to. Yeah, that's entirely possible, too. And he's like, oh, now that you said it, I don't have to say it. So I'll just say something else. But the seed's already been planted <laughs> you know, type thing. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, so then we get that scene with Otto meeting with Alicent, like you mentioned, and they're uncertain about their future. So he's pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing to try to get her to work, to work on Viserys to make him name... Aegon, Otto's grandson, as heir. And he says, you know, when when you bore the king a son, you ended 15 years of uncertainty and doubt. So that highlights the uncertainty that's been gripping the realm this whole time. Uh, Rhaenyra's whole life. I was yeah. thinking, yeah, he said 15 years, but I was thinking... 17 at this the point, baby, once the, Right, once the baby was born, they were talking about from, from the baby Aegon, baby Aegon's birth to now... Right. That put to rest the uncertainty. But I, I think about it until just now. The 15 years of uncertainty was when the only heir that Viserys had was a girl. Was a female. Era, yeah. Exactly. Uh, until, you know, the two years ago when baby Aegon was born. So that's okay. Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, two years ago, that was the end of the 15 years of uncertainty in his mind. Uh, right, because so, Rhaenyra's 17 now. Yeah, exactly. So I was thinking for a second, oh, they fucked up, they fucked up, because it's been 17 <laughs> years now. But I guess he's talking about, yeah, when you bore the King of Sun, that was two years ago. You ended that 15 mm-hmm. years of uncertainty. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, he says, uh, pretty cool, Aegon, like his namesake, was born to rule the Seven Kingdoms. If Viserys were to name him heir, the realm would fate him for it. And I looked that up, fate, verb, to celebrate, laud, or acclaim. Pretty cool word. It's spelled F-E-T-E. So mm-hmm. like uh, me, as a layman, I would have read it and I would have said feet. <laughs> but, fete. Yeah, fete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and so there's a pretty tense moment here where he's he senses that Rainier, that uh, Allison isn't like too stoked about this. And he's like, what, does this not please you? Do you not want your son to be king? And she's like, what mother wouldn't? But Rhaenyra is the, the heiress. And uh, he's like, you mustn't ignore the certain truth that if Rhaenyra were to step over Aegon to ascend the, the, the throne, throne, the realm would tear itself apart. And she's like, they all swore ob- obeisance to her. Our house among them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, that was before Aegon. And I'm just thinking like, oh man, like as if that matters, a vow as a vow, bro, you know? And uh, it, it shows that his word means nothing. Yeah, he's just going to take the the what has happened in the meantime and use that as a pretense to maneuver the situation to his own benefit. Yeah, and it, you know what? It just reminded me of, uh, I think there's a, a thing with the hound and he's talking about like a vow to a king, a vow to a, you know, somebody else. What happened? Oh, it's Jamie. You know, you get vow to your father to keep, to protect your father. And then you have a vow to your king. What happens when the king orders you to kill your father? And it's like, you're caught between situations. So he's like, yeah, he's sworn obedience and obeisance to Rhaenyra, but now there's a male heir. And that's what, like what the precedent says should be <laughs> king. Right. Not necessarily though, because the, the council of a of 101 AC only really decided this one issue, an individual issue that it would be preferable for Viserys to be king rather than Rhaenys being queen. It didn't necessarily set that as a precedent of standard like, moving forward. That has forward. to be the way it goes forever. Yeah. So each king, you know, before this, each king named his own heir. If it wasn't obvious to where right. the firstborn son grows up, becomes of age, and they're obviously the heir. But if there was some weird situation, the king names the successor. It's going to be this daughter or, you know, this second son or uh, the brother of the first son or what have you. So they're taking the Great Council of 101 and treating it like legal precedent. Right. Which, yeah, I think it should only be used to determine what they were determining. I agree. Take over after Jaharis. If they did not definitively state that this is precedent moving forward, then it should not be interpreted that way. So it, I feel so bad for Alicent here because it's so clear that how much she loves Rhaenyra like a sister. And now she's caught in this position where her, like she says, what, and what if my son, would you have me raise a man to steal his own sister's birthright? And I like that she's, she's sticking up for Rhaenyra here. And she did as well during the dinner party. Uh, she stuck up for Rhaenyra in that scene, saying that she would make a great queen. I think it was, and that uh, that she was better for the role than uh, it was. It's the uh, <laughs> the uh, the red wine woman who says, "Oh, since you supplanted, you haven't spoken to Damon since you supplanted him as heir." And uh, Alicent sticks up for her and says, "You know, like she didn't really supplant him. Supplant him. Viserys just thought that she would be a better fit for the role. You know." And that's when uh, <laughs> Rhaenyra has a great line to Redwine, the woman. Uh, she says, uh, like, well, what have you done for the realm other than eating cake? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, eat your cake, Lady Redwine, you and your pug. Yeah, <laughs> the pug did get some of that cake, too. <laughs> and then uh, it cuts over to, um, you know, also Otto tells her, like, you got to help you have to guide Viserys towards reason because he'll never find it on his own. <laughs> and then it cuts to the Stepstones. Well, not necessarily. Later on, the next scene with uncertainty is regarding the Stepstones and their uncertain victory and the uncertainty that they're feeling as far as their chances of winning is causing tumult between the, the men. 
and Vaymond is sewing some 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 <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, mutinous mutiny. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so that's you know they're all arguing among each other, which is pretty intense, and it just shows that uh, you know they're the uncertainty is not a good thing. Basically, <laughs> basically. Oh, so uh, then there's the the other scene where uh, I think it's when. Yeah, it's when Alicent is talking with Viserys and they're discussing the situation and Rhaenyra and the sea snake situation over there with the, the stepstones. And Alicent reads the, uh, the, the letter and realizes that they need aid. And she's like, well, why aren't you sending it? And he's like, because it was a war started by two malcontents, unhappy with decisions I made. And now if I provide Damon and Gorlis sucker, which is a cool word, S-U-C-C-O-R, what will that say of their king? Lots of good medieval vocabulary words in this episode. Yeah, totally. So, uh, you know, perhaps that he's a good man who loves his brother. And he's like, well, if you truly believe that, my dear, then you possess a generous spirit. And uh, she says, well, what do you believe, Viserys? And he says, that I'm forever doomed to anger one person in the pleasing of another, you know? And he's just caught between, like we talked about earlier, he's craving love Mm -hmm. and approval, and this leads to this endless indecision that he's stuck in. Like, this situation in the Stepstones has been going on for three years! Yeah, that's a very long time to be waging a war to no end. Yeah. Uh, so it's just crazy. And then Alicent is able to put things in perspective for him in a brilliant way. It seems like she's actually helping him. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and she, she says, then I pose a simpler question. Is it better for the realm if the crab feeder thrives or is vanquished? And it was kind of like a genius way to take all the personal crap out of it mm-hmm. and just think what's about better? the realm and what's best and a genius way to reframe things, I thought. And yeah, that's basically, I think that pretty much wraps everything up for my, uh, my, oh, actually a little bit more at, uh, we got stuff going on at the, at the, the, the stepstones with Heather, how Vaymond is planting the seeds of mutiny and everything. And, you know, that uncertainty is causing disruption among the men. It's interesting. Uh, Damon lands and, <laughs> and he walks over and smugly leans against the table. And you can see just like the resentment of all the men around him as they stare at him. In, and uh, then we get word that the Viserys, and we get the first of his name, King of the Andals, the Roinar, and the first men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm. <laughs> I, I totally like, thought Damon was just going to like punch the guy or just <laughs> cut him off. Like, shut up. We know his titles. Yeah, Give yeah, me yeah. a message. But uh, Damon surprisingly <laughs> let him go on with the the list. You know, the unburnt, the breaker of chains. Yeah, uh, probably just for <laughs> us because we was like, oh, cool. We haven't heard this like this rattling like off of titles. The spiel. Titles, titles, titles. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he, Damon does not like the fact that he's sending help, that Viserys is sending aid. And he starts beating the crap out of the messenger. And I'm like, no, don't kill the messenger. Everybody knows that. You don't kill them. This is not Sparta. (laughs) 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 And uh, referencing 300 when he kicks the guy into the hole. Good thing that guy wasn't standing at the edge of the cliff. Yeah, right. <laughs> Damon would have just Leonidas him down the cliff. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and so that pretty much wraps up my 
theme of uncertainty. It's just that everybody's uncertain the whole time. The high towers are uncertain. They want to solidify their place in the line of, of succession. Rhaenyra's uncertain. Viserys is uncertain. The bannermen throughout the realm are uncertain. Uncertainty is just gripping the realm at this moment. It's brutal. Yep. Two cups of rice. Brutal. Very not a good thing. So what, what's your numero uno, Brostein? Uh, my number, my number one was, uh, the white stag. Oh. There, was no, there was no white stag for Viserys and that being a sign for baby Aegon that he's the chosen one. Uh, but they get a regular stag and Viserys does his duty and slays the stag and you know, takes him, uh, two tries to, to vanquish it. But after Rhaenyra's encounter with the wild boar, uh, small side note, uh, Kristen Cole not really didn't really impress me with his uh, face off with the boar. He got like flung like a rag doll, and then he did come back after the fact and, and stab it through the face. But <laughs> like, did you see how close his blade came to yeah, Rhaenyra? Super it's close. Like, oh, that's like that inches close. for her face. But I'm sure he planned it. I'm sure he planned his thrust just the right amount. Just the right. Anyway. And how the hell did that boar not kill Rhaenyra? It's like. 100 right. pounds of boar, like, boring down on her yeah, face. Push, you know? yeah, I mean, I mean, the first thing they do is they take those tusks and they'll, like, I've seen people's legs, hunters and people who are just out in the field, like, they use, they hit your legs because, I mean, that's the what's on the level with them. But, yeah, in real life, that that, that other thing would have started ripping Rhaenyra, you know, her, you know, guts or chest or face or all of the above. But yeah. anyway, so uh, she sticks him with the pointy end. She goes ape on it, and then the next day she's still covered in blood, and they're up there on the bluff looking down at the camp, and then they're just quietly taking in the moment, and then they both kind of look over to their right, and there he is, the white stag. Just standing there. There he is, just chilling. Kristen Gold like, slowly starts to take out his blade, and Rhaenyra's like, stop it, stop it, we're not killing it, leave it alone, it's just there. <laughs> and, like, There's no way you could get close enough to a stag. With a with sword. A sword. Anyway. He's going to like toss uh, it. Unless it's tied <laughs> up javelin. by a bunch of knights on horses. Yeah. And that's the but, thing too, is that uh, like everybody did all the work for Viserys. But when Rhaenyra comes back the next day, drenched in blood, it's apparent she did her own hunting, you know, like she did it herself. Right. Uh, and that, or that moment with the white stag for her was organic. Yeah. They're just there on the bluff yeah. and he just walks up. Yeah. You know, the, cool. <laughs> if, if you're going to believe it's a, a sign from on high, then it's for Rhaenyra. So, which goes back to my number five, Team Rhaenyra, ride or die, let's go. <laughs> the White Stag agrees. The gods are on our side, baby. <laughs> Kristen Cole agrees. So it was just, I mean, it was just a cool moment. <laughs> the White Stag Where agrees. he just walks up and they look over and he's right there. He just kind of stands there for, for a few seconds and kind of looks at them. Chilling on the looks bluff. around and they kind of take in the moment and he just turns around and he's gone. Yeah, there are some theories uh, regarding Blood Raven and his, uh, you know, that he may have been control because he can control like all of the hundreds of ravens. He can control anything. He's like the ultimate warg. People are uh, thinking that maybe he he had contr controlled the boar that gored. Um, oh, Robert. Robert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably not true, but <laughs> there could be some some the gods, so to speak, if they're the old gods, or. They could be like, I don't know, controlling the animals in a certain way that <laughs> it really could be a sign from the gods, you know? Yep. Anything else you want to add? I don't think so. 
All right, my number one was dragons. I just like the dragon effects were great this episode. Yeah, the squirming blood worm crawling around with this big long neck and breathing fire. Um, the uh, and then his f- squirming body as he flies through the air. And then we got uh, I thought it was Cyrax at first, but it's Sea Smoke, Lenor Valerian's dragon, who's kicking mm-hmm. some ass too. Uh, you know. Sucker for dragons, I guess. It was just, I just like all, all the dragon stuff, though. That's <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, Deus Ex Dragona, uh, <laughs> shows up, uh, right at, uh, Damon's, uh, moment of peril as all the, the crabs, uh, start to, uh, surround him are right there by that. I think it's like the hull of a ship. Yeah. They're and on all sides. He's all sides. And did you, did you catch what the, the crab feeder was doing the whole time? No. The what whole, was he doing? Just Ever since Damon walked up and he had the truce flag and then then he starts fighting them, the whole every time it cut back to the crab feeder, he's looking up at the sky. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just locking out for the dragon. It's like, where are they? Where is it at? Where is it? Because he stayed right there by the mouth of the cave. Because <laughs> yeah. if the dragons show up, he can head back in the cave. Meanwhile, all his guys, which is what we realize at at the end, what they're trying to do is to draw out all the crabs um, so they could roast them. And uh, one other time, and when they're on the hillside, uh, before I think before Damon gets back, uh, I think Vaymond or Corliss says dragons, plural, can fly over Bloodstone, whatever the name of that island is, Bloodstone or Ravenstone or something cool. Um, Alstone. There, there's another name that when Viserys sent the messenger, he said, "Take this to." Yeah, Mothstone for, or Owlstone <laughs> or something like that. Uh, Dovestone, I don't know. Quailstone or something. Anyway. Um, uh, Quailman. When they're over there, uh, I think it's Vaymond or Corliss says dragons, plural, yeah, can yeah. circle Bloodstone all day long. But that, that's just a quick right. little throwaway line. And you're like, what? There's Caraxes and who else is over there? Yeah. And at that point, we I didn't don't even know. catch it at that moment. But it was just like a little clue that I called on the rewatch. I said, like, oh, he said dragons. Yeah, yeah, dragon. yeah. Same here. I noticed the rewatch. Um, but it was cool. It was very cool, like that smoky grayish color that Sea Smoke had. Um, he shows up. We get Dracarys a couple of times, mm-hmm. and then we get a little Anakin Skywalker. Woo! This is what I call <laughs> pod racing. Uh, I thought we were going to maybe get a funny little line from him, but he just goes woo. I was like, that would be pretty fun to be in battle. Got your armor on. You're on your dragon, and you're just flying around roasting people. Yeah, just roasting them. Oh, oh yeah. the, the woo, the woo we get, woo, um, is <laughs> when he, the <laughs> sea smoke uh, flies along and he doesn't uh, burn anybody. He grabs a couple of people with his feet and then whoosh, yeah, them and you I, see them fly and woo <laughs> before they start falling. And he goes, woo. That's the other thing I was going to mention is that's just how cool it was that he swooped down and grabbed a couple of guys and his claws just <laughs> set them flying. <laughs> Yeah, I think Drogon did that maybe once or twice in the in the Game of Thrones series. Oh, uh, yeah, probably with the, all those white whites running around. He probably like ah, clawed him. I bet I don't remember exactly, but <laughs> pretty badass. Yeah, so that pretty much wraps up my number one. Should we just go through anything we may have missed? Uh, yeah, that um, I was just marking off the last of my notes. We kind of covered all the note of uh, the notes that I had written down uh, as we went along. Nice, so. nice. Um, the crab feeder looks fucked. I think we already talked about that. Uh, there's some cool music during the the fight scene. There's like a, uh, it's kind of like a, a battle version of the Game of Thrones theme 
dun, 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 dun. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but I'll overlay mm. it. Uh, and uh, let's see. There's a, a shot where the crab feeder is standing in the mouth of that cave that he's kind of holed up in. And it's looking out from inside of the cave, and he's standing there, and the Caraxes is, like, crawling around, and you see the fire everywhere. And the shape of the cave kind of looks like Al-Mamun's forced entry, which is this, uh, like, the way that this Muslim caliph, Al-Mamun, in, like, a number of centuries ago, in order to force his way into the Great Pyramid, he hacked a hole into it, allegedly. May have hacked his way out with treasure. Um, but uh, there's this entryway that I feature in the core saga with an image, and it looks just like that. Same nice. shaped breach and everything. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, it's hard to sell, tell with the crab feeder where his mask begins and his skin ends, you know. <laughs> yeah, but there's definitely a mask. I was wondering that yeah. the same thing too last week, but, but a couple of shots from behind him when he's out in daylight, you can see this like little leather Cord strap or this cord that kind of holds right the, on the back the mask on its head, but it's definitely kind of melds into his uh, the face. His face and the mask definitely kind of meld together. Yeah, crazy. And you can tell he's like he's missing a lot of hair. He doesn't look like he's in good health. He never says a word. He he's a character nope. leading an army who never says anything, which is kind of cool. Zero lines. It seems to me like he's more of the the brains and less of the brawn. I don't know if he would be able to put, put up much of a fight. Right. I mean, if he's that infected with grayscale, he was probably not much of a, a physical match for a Damon. Yeah. And Damon doesn't have any trouble with him. He's dark sister literally slices him completely in half. Nice, nice cut. Remember what, uh, what Damon told him? And he was looking for him at the very beginning. It was night and he oh, was I'm on feed you to your, to your crabs. Where are you, Dreha? Where are you? I'm going to feed you to your crabs. And <laughs> he, he brought half his body out there and presumably is going to leave it for the crabs. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple lines here too, which are funny about aim about a uh, baby egg on two years old. And already our boy has a kingly presence. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. People just talking nonsense. Yeah, and then I think it's Otto who says, you know, it's his, his second name day. Oh, no, it's it's uh, Hobart. A couple late, lines later, he says, it is Aegon's second name day. His infancy is behind him. <laughs> it's like, all right, I guess. He's still a baby. Yeah, dude. so, you know, I guess, that, yeah, definitely still a baby, but maybe that, I'm trying to remember if they discussed this with. I guess he's a toddler, uh, not an infant now. Who's the baby, who has the baby, uh, Craster's daughter? Gilly? Gilly? Gilly, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think maybe in the books they talk about the first two years in the Right, they don't even name them. Is, yeah, yeah, the wildlings, or maybe it's Crasters. Yeah. Somebody, some people group, yeah, they don't even name them until they're uh, past two years of age, or maybe th- maybe an older age, but I think it's two. But I think there is a, a significance for getting through that second full year. Uh, yeah, definitely. Where they're, they're out of infancy and into childhood or toddler, toddlerhood yeah. or whatever. Really quick, I'll, I'll just mention, we got an, a mention of uh, Lady Johanna, Sierra Lannister is talking about her. And I thought that was interesting because it reminded me of Joanna Lannister, who was Tyrion's mom. And But apparently uh, this this lady, Johanna, has been captured by the pirates and she's going to be sent to a pillow house. That's not good. Um, <laughs> I, th- I also, I thought the Stepstones were in Essos. My Westerosi geography has been vanquished over yeah, the past they're basically years, really. in between Essos and... 
Yeah, Westeros. It's, it's right at the base of Westeros where Dorne kind of shoots out a little bit. It's between Dorne and the undisputed lands in southern Essos. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. I've got, <laughs> I've got one when I saw that Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra had found a place to chill. Nice little nook in the woods with some downed trees and stuff. <laughs> They're chilling out. I was like, where's Netflix when you need it? You know what I'm saying? Bound trick a wow wow. <laughs> <laughs> One one little one other little note. Um, so Damon had a few lines at the very beginning of the episode. He's right. on Caraxes and he's calling out Prince Drehar. Drehar, where are you? <laughs> Come out and fight me. I'll feed you to your crabs. <laughs> but then once we we leave uh, King's Landing and go to the Stepstones back after like the first half of the episode, right? Because it starts off in the Stepstones for like a minute and mm-hmm. a half, and then it goes to King's Landing for like half an hour, and then we go back to the Stepstones for that final, you know, third or quarter of the episode. And the war council is meeting up there on the hill. And then Damon, you know, dragon, what did he say? Dragon returning. It's like, does that really need to be a call that's made? <laughs> like, it's it's like obvious. everybody has eyeballs. <laughs> it's this huge, you know, black, uh, black and red bedworm. I am the red worm. It's like, <laughs> like when they say Rangers returning at the wall. Oh, right, it's like, right, right. Okay. They say that because somebody spots them and sees them and blows one horn for Rangers returning, oh, open yeah. the gate, whatever. I mean, that's communication at the wall. But it's like, dragon returning. It's like, <laughs> is that really necessary? <laughs> but anyway, so Damon <laughs> Damon lands, walks down the hill. He gets the letter, you know, beats up the messenger. And then the next thing we see, he's on the rowboat over to, to where the crab feeder is and his crabs. And Matt Smith doesn't say a word. The whole sequence, once we go back to the Stepstones, no dialogue. It's all just acting, physical acting. True. Uh, all the way into the Crab Feeder's cave, out of the Crab Feeder's cave, nothing. No words, just action. So Epic. I thought that was pretty neat. Made a great foil to the uh, the Crab Feeder in that way, because the Crab Feeder has no dialogue through the whole series, you know, as it turns out, before he's killed, so having Damon be like his silent opposition, you know, it's like equal and opposite in, in that way uh, for the yep, second half of this episode. Yeah. So that was really cool. I, good, good catch. I like that. That's badass. Uh, there's a funny line with Viserys. He says, <laughs> when Alicent is meeting with him back at the red keep after the partay, <laughs> she's like, how are you feeling husband? And he's like, the gods have punished me for my indulgences. He's all hungover. I thought that was a great He's way to describe a hangover. Nice. <laughs> Pretty but the classic. wine was good. Yeah, the wine was too good. <laughs> too good. Imagine being king. So you have the finest wine, the finest food, always at your disposal. I mean, I would be huge. I would, you know, weigh 400 pounds if I just <laughs> at a whim, at a whim could just say, bring me a steak. You know, bring me this, bring me that. You'd be Robert be the bad. Zachary Bruce. Exactly. I mean, Bobby <laughs> B, he's, he's swole up. He needed, what they say? The bless, the, he told Lancel, go get the breastplate stretcher. I would need a new, a new set of armor probably every six months. <laughs> For sure. Breastplate stretchers. <laughs> you need like 10 people stretching that breastplate. Exactly. <laughs> Bring me some pigeon pie. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh yeah. When when Lenor arrives on Sea Smoke, 
It took me like three or four shots of him before I realized that it was not Cyrax and Rhaenyra. I was like, oh shit, is that Rhaenyra? Cyrax! You know, then then I finally see the blonde hair coming out of the helmets, out of, the, out of his helmet. And I was like, oh, it's Lainor! You know, at, at first I didn't realize that it was, it was him. I thought I it forgot. was a dragon and it's obviously done. he wasn't dark like Caraxes. I was like, is this a new dragon or is this Cyrax? And then it showed him, you know, the gray color and then it showed Lainor. And I was like, oh, yes. And then... At one point, the next time it shows him, it's from below or above. I think it's from below. So he looks darker because it's like looking up against the sky. Oh, like back. And I thought that was like an, another dark dragon. I was like, is it Caraxes without Damon or a new, another new dragon? I thought it was two dragons in play at the end there. Oh. Uh, but, then it, but then it went back to him and kind of showed him from above. And he kind of torches a line of archers, you know, along one of those ridges. Yeah, that was that, cool. You know, grayish whitish color again. I'm like, okay, that's definitely the first dragon that I saw, but it took me a minute to realize that it was only Lainor and Snee Smoke. See Smoke. That, <laughs> Snee uh, Smoke. That was in the situation, in the scenario. Uh, but it would have cool to, Where was to the, see. the blood worm at the end there? Yeah, I was like, well, it would have been cool for Caraxes just to show up and basically defend Damon's position. Yeah. Uh, and just without Damon being on him or just fly around and just provide some aerial support, you know, can, but can dragon without the dragon rider, can dragons, you know, accurately determine friend from foe things George doesn't explain to us. Yeah. That's a good question. Cause there, uh, it has to say Dracaris, you know, when he wants it to fire, it seemed right. like sea smoke was able to see that's Damon in the middle there and shot the fire all around him. And Damon went flying in the burst of fire. It's almost like the fire is yeah, like an explosion. Crazy. There's one shot mm-hmm. where the dragon, there's a guy running in the darkness of the beach. Ah! <laughs> you know, and, and I think it's Caraxes comes flying through and yeah. roasts him. And all that's left of him is just his foot flopping around it. Like it vaporizes his body instantly. Right. That's like book accurate where George talks about yeah. how extremely hot <clears throat> dragon fire is and to where it, it literally vaporizes people melts flesh it melts bone i mean instantaneous so when i saw that at the beginning that was a really cool effect of, yeah. there's a guy Super running cool. and then just this birth uh this burst of flame uh annihilates him and all that's left is what was outside that sheath of flame was just his foot and maybe the first half of his shin and that's just left there. It just flops around. <laughs> I thought it was cool how the uh, the pirates had taken these hillsides on these these, you know, and and cut the terraces into them. Yeah, uh, that was that was pretty cool. It was like this is wartime terraces, not irrigation for farming. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're not. What do they farm on terraces? Rice or um, I can't remember. No, rice has to be flooded. Yeah, probably different stuff in different places because they have terraces in like Peru, you know, terraces and, you know, all different areas of the world. I think they're kind of found, but I really don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, um, another interesting little kind of Game of Thrones connection. When Daemon is doing his suicide rush and at one point he gets stuck with like three arrows immediately like all at all in within like a second of each other and he drops to his knees and it made me think of Rob Stark at the Red Wedding. I think they might have been trying to trick us for a second thinking that he was getting uh, killed because it was like the same imagery and the same way he dropped to his knees that Rob Stark did when he got stuck with those arrows. And I was like, oh man, this is crazy. <laughs> and yeah, you mentioned how cool it was the the the, the sh- burning carcasses of the ships lying around. I, I agree. I thought that was really cool. Epic, especially during the night shots. 
like these hulking skeletons of like the the uh, the ship bodies and everything. And uh, yeah, I think that pretty much covers all my notes. Anything else for you? No, that's it. All right. We'll take a quick break then. There's more to come. Stay with us. Okay, for news about Game of Thrones, you had mentioned something interesting about IMDb scores for this episode, didn't you? Okay, so uh, Heirs of the Dragon episode one came in with an IMDb score of 8.8, pretty good. The Rogue Prince uh, episode two was 8.5, but second of his name, episode three, (sighs) 9.9. So... My rating of five out of five earlier was accurate. Nine point <laughs> nine. You can't. I don't think IMDb gets much higher than nine point nine. So yeah, pretty exciting. Wow. People are people are really wow. enjoying uh, episode three, and I believe that uh, nine point nine is uh, right up there in the ratings with uh, Battle of the Bastards and the Winds of Winter. Amazing. So, the end of season six had some epic. Uh, episodes and uh, sadly Miguel Sapochnik who is one of the uh, he's the, he was the showrunner of House of the Dragon I think he directed at least one of those two episodes Battle of the Bastards I think um yeah, I know he did that one he did uh the Battle of Winterfell Hard Home, in season eight I think oh that's, he did Hard that's Home. what I'm thinking yeah yeah the Battle of yeah um yeah the, he's the Battle of the Battle of Blackness <laughs> he's uh, apparently he's just stepped down as showrunner for this show so hopefully that won't have negative consequences for the quality of the production but I think he's still going to be on board as a producer and possibly director um, maybe he just needed to get everything the way that it, it should be to move forward and he's done his job and set the, the, the standards in place that they'll be able to follow from from now on in producing the show, hopefully, you know, yeah, he just I'm a thinking, great job. you know, uh, I think Condal, uh, you know, was the other, was the co-showrunner and he was kind of the writer who was basically brainstorming the script and the story, the plot with George. So he's sort of the writer behind this, the series and Sapochnik is more, you know, a director and logistics, you know, kind of a person, you know, so being a, you know, an episode director before, so I'm yeah. thinking that, you know, Condal has the story and has the helm going forward. So I'm thinking. You have the watch, or isn't there? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, Lord Commander. <laughs> I'm thinking Sapochnik is going to become, is going to start developing something. Oh, another show. Oh, because that's what they said, that he was still going to be uh, developing something. I don't know if it's part of the GOTCU or if it's just developing something else outside of Westeros for HBO. But I mean, I'm thinking he's going to develop Nymeria or they may bring him on to the Jon Snow series. Jon Snow. I don't know if they have a showrunner yet for that. Um, right. Because that article did say that he's he's still on board in, with HBO producing, uh, developing some new stuff. Right. So odds are it's probably something Westeros related. I think so. So Fascinating. Nymeria and her 10,000 ships or I want to see 
Aegon's Conquest. I know, right? That's Ugh. what I really want to see. The field, specifically the Field of Fire. Like, oh yeah, that. I mean, some people have surmised that they, after they finish the dance with House of the Dragon, they could turn the show into an anthology kind of a series. Yeah. So they could do. Jaharis, if they wanted to, that may be kind of boring. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but they could go back and do Egan's Conquest. They could do Robert's Rebellion, and the Fall the of the Targaryen reign. They could do like a one season or just a few episode, uh, a mini season kind of of Magor. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of different, you know, and then everything kind of in between the dance, the Blackfire Rebellion. So they could do House of the Dragon outside of the Dance of the Dragons. And continue you know, under this same show, the same series, and it's all about the target. So this is, they called it House of the Dragon, right? True. They didn't name the show the Dance of the Dragons because that would kind of limit it. Yeah, it could be anything regarding the Targaryen house. Exactly. So they could go all the way back to Aegon, or before they could get you know a prologue of House Targaryen leaving Valyria with Daenys the Dreamer. Yeah, and then getting to Aegon in the prologue, and then that have a one or two or three episode or. A, Two, one, two, or three season arc of Aegon's Conquest. Oh, I mean, man. There's, there's a lot of things they could do just in House of the Dragon. So they named it that name, and it gave, they, that name gives them a lot of flexibility story-wise once they finish with the dance. I think it would be cool to get some, like, super, super ancient Stark stuff, like, like some of the, the ancient Stark kings that are down in the crypts of Winterfell. That would be really cool. Brand the Builder and stuff. Yeah. I mean, they, they may have been... So I think that was... Some of that was in play in that Long Night uh, Blood Moon series that got scrapped. Oh, man. They shot a pilot for that and everything. Oh. So that was... I don't, can't remember how far back in history, but it was pretty far back. That's like as far back as it goes, I think. There was the previous Long Night. So... Yeah. Super far back. It would have um, been with the Stark Kings of old, but that one got scrapped. So. I, I heard somebody speculating that it, or, you know, saying how cool it would be if we got a flashback, because they've mentioned Balerion a couple times in this series. We have Viserys who rode Balerion. Imagine if we got a flashback to younger Viserys riding Balerion, so we could get an idea of just how huge and terrifying yeah. he is. Like, he, it could if, be a dream sequence or memory or something. Definitely. I'm thinking they would probably save that if long-term they plan on going back and doing Aegon's Conquest. I think they would save Balerion for that yeah, show. Probably. But probably right. if they don't if they were sure they were never gonna do that, which I mean things change, but they might do that in a dream sequence, but it'd have to be pretty epic to give Balerion his due. Yeah, super, super epic. Speaking of epic, <clears throat> the uh it, did you see on IMDB the picture for this episode? It's of Corliss Valerion holding his battle axe. Yeah, that was uh, his axe and his helmet and armor was all really cool. Yeah, the, a lot. the helmets remind me of football helmets. Yeah, his is like, you know, kind of slick straight back. It's like, I like his helmet way more than the King's, the King's Guard, Guard the Magneto, Magneto helmet. I love those Magneto helmets. <laughs> his axe is so cool too, and it's got chinks out of, cut out of it. Like all along the lower half of the blade, you can tell it's been used. It's definitely not Valyrian steel. Unfortunately, you'd think that the Valerians would have some Valyrian, mm. right? What's up with that? Yeah. 
Maybe maybe we'll find out something about that at some they're point. They're the second. They're the second sons of the realm, so they don't they don't deserve allegiance <laughs> to. I guess. Oh, sec, poor second sons. <laughs> you and me, we're firstborns, right? I'm middle. I'm so I'm a second son. Oh, I didn't yeah, know I'm that. Second of three. <laughs> I knew you had a younger brother. Nice. All right. So let's move on to Raven's Calls. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Lord Corey Eugene Kuhn says, Last High Gardener of High Garden here. I wanted to note that when Rhaenyra states that no one is here for me, I got a shiver. It was, this was shortly after she explains she does not want to go on the hunt because boars sound like children squealing when being slaughtered, only to go off with the only one there who seems to take note of her, Sir Kristen Cole. This gallivant includes a sleepover in which Kristen Cole and her, and her slaughter a boar, squeals and all. This duo has my attention. Additionally, he says, it didn't give me shivers, but that mural on the wall while the high towers were talking got my blood moving. 69 surrounded by a five and three. <laughs> oh, five and three. What does that mean? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Right, I'm going to have to look. I'm going to have to look at that to, get, to, to, to understand the five and three. I'll, I'll, yeah, he says, nice. I was hitting pause and trying to get a look like a teen with scrambled Cinemax on satellite back in the day. <laughs> I remember those nice. scrambled images, trying to pause to see those boobies. Yep, yep. Sir Matthew Rip says, it's nice to see that the Lannister smugness genes go back through the ancestral line. The White Stag <laughs> is such an important figure in European folklore, often thought to be an omen of great change to those that see it. It prophesied the forging of new nations in Hungarian legend. Ooh. The Celts thought the appearance of the white stag only appears to those that betray an oath. It will be interesting to see what it means that Rhaenyra saw it while Viserys did not. Oh. I suppose the phrase, don't shoot the messenger, didn't exist in Westeros. <laughs> yeah, this is what apparently Westeros is Sparta, like we said earlier. We've got a voicemail. From Archmaester Stitches. Nice. Lord Sterling. Lord Zach. Episode three. Actually, I haven't really done my thoughts on one or two. So I'm just going to, I guess, summarize up things so far. This is Archmaester Stitches from the Siren Citadel amongst the Stitched Isle. And uh, yeah, dude, I am so digging this series um, I think the the dragon action coming right out the gate versus waiting, you know, seasons of seasons of seasons of wondering with if and how it's going to go down. Um, and in Game of Thrones, it's really nice just to have the action just come like right out with uh, the flying of the golden dragon in the beginning and then uh, all the action that went on in this episode uh, that we just witnessed on episode three. But yeah, man, uh, the politics and everything I think is really, really great. I hope that they don't dive too deep into like the other houses of a time. I mean, I know last night we got the uh, the introduction of the Lannisters and that kind of stuff, like really, you know, showing the twins and those kind of things and the Strongs. And I know uh, 
that they're important later on um, in the story, but I just don't. I want to stay centered around this this Targaryen uh, punch as far as the plot and all that goes for this series because um, they have so much ground to cover, and I think that probably people are going to be really jumped a lot by these uh these time jumps because it just seems like each episode is going to be an even longer time jump in between them um because we went from uh what a few months to our well we had a giant time jump between the intro and the uh all the rest of episode one but that aside we you know we jumped six months and now two years so the next one (laughs) gonna just keep multiplying um I don't really care, man. I'm I'm up for all of it. Uh, I'm even up for you know forwards and backwards. Like if we have an episode that that goes back in time, um, I'm just so anxious to to see how they're going to do this cinematic telling of uh of this story um, because it's so great and it could give us depending on how they tell it. We got ten seasons of House of the Dragon, uh, which I would welcome. I, I enjoy it. It's brought life back to my Sundays. And so have you guys. Y'all's coverage has been so great. And I can't, I can't wait to uh, hopefully later on in the season, you know, join you guys for a full episode. And um, it's just like we, we haven't missed a beat. I feel like we just got through listening to all the coverage on uh, that you guys did for Game of Thrones. And I was happy to be a part of a few episodes of that. And I can't wait to see where House of the Dragon goes. You guys keep up the great work. And, uh, you yeah, know, death to the crab feeder. Go, Damon. Thanks for sending a message, Johnny. Always love to hear from you. Glad to hear you're stoked on the show, man, and looking forward to having you on soon. All right, that's our show, episode 123. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, guys. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. (laughs) Damn, that guy's voice is cool. (laughs) Boobs. (laughs) On another note, if you enjoy my take on things, you might be excited to learn that I'm working on a project of my own. It's a series in novel screenplay hybrid form, and I'm already over 1,100 pages into it. Just imagine the Da Vinci Code, Indiana Jones, Splinter Cell, Project Blue Book, Journey to the Center of the Earth, War of the Worlds, and Independence Day all combined into one post-World War II epic, The Core Saga. It's going to be great. More information on that soon. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing doing some online shopping? Then go on over to gameofmicrophones.com, scroll down to the bottom, and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps and you can help secure the continued existence of GOM. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmaster Stitches. Go to Sirenicide.com and download it wherever you get your podcasts. And also check out Hearing the Haunted, his horror anthology series, which is awesome as well. You guys will love it. Next episode, we'll be covering House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 4, King of the Narrow Sea. Mm-hmm. 
We'll be recording on Monday afternoons for the rest of the season, so make sure you send us your episode feedback ASAP following the show's airtime so we can include your thoughts on Game of Microphones. If you'd like to call and leave a voicemail, call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Make sure to join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. Each week we'll be posting a feedback thread where you can leave your thoughts and comments on new episodes for us to read on air. Imp slap. <laughs> you can also watch Game of Microphones on YouTube. Audio podcasts are great, but video is better. We're currently trying to build our minuscule subscriber count, so please go to youtube.com slash gameofmicrophones and subscribe right now. Likes, comments, and shares are appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at G-O-M Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. <laughs> giggity, giggity. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. It is Aegon's second name day, his infancies behind him. It only remains for Viserys to name him heir to the throne. Wouldn't be so sure. He's the king's firstborn son. I don't know that his grace sees it so clearly. Then it lies with you to make him see it. sweet meteor of death you know yeah 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 come, come and take me and even Ray, uh rainiera talked about that in the the horse la model x that's what i call their wagon um, <laughs> <laughs> that wagon is so like futuristic looking ride or die team rainiera <laughs> let's go me yeah. and Kristen cole let's go yeah <laughs> let's go <laughs> kingsguard versus marine that'd be a pretty good Good fight. Yeah. <laughs> Wed her for duty. <laughs> and so uh, as so and so as not to honor her dis huh. Okay. <laughs> All right. Team Rhaenyra, ride or die. Let's go. <laughs> the white stag agrees. The gods are on our side, baby. <laughs> Kristen Cole agrees. Those in the earth, but I was now in your commander. I feel my ear with Lucifer.